We are still Dialogue Choices podcast against all odds. Wow. Hello, Andrew. The odds are pretty. The odds are pretty bad because of the, the, us not knowing what we're going to talk about today. That's every episode, though, except for when Bird's here, where we have a mission. Our special I guest Bird, Bird. was going to be here. No, because we he didn't have a was... topic. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Bird will not come on the podcast if there's not a topic. <laughs> and the topic, and in those cases, the topic <laughs> is usually Bird is the expert at this thing. Let him talk to the, about the thing. Uh, yeah. He's not ready for the aimless talk about whatever thing that this show normally is and just sometimes very having a conversation yeah sometimes who the fuck does that (laughs) uh yeah crazy i only talk to my friends when i can use it for content that is absolutely not true (laughs) which is why i'll now talk about that's why i'll now talk about everything i did this weekend to turn it into to turn it into content (laughs) wait a second i was there this weekend yeah (laughs) <laughs> oh no <laughs> so if you were wondering why there's no streams this weekend uh it's because i it was I my went, fault sorry yeah i went to a haunt with andrew and toaster and uh that was, that was friday night and then saturday night i went to a furry vr chat karaoke night and so that's where i was instead of making videos and that was entertaining and that that's my entire weekend so i i had a weekend oh my god so i don't normally have we're weekends supposed to take away from- <laughs> What we're feel like you take away from uh, this is that you sing. Oh yeah, you sing. You have some videos of you singing. Yeah, that's not unusual. Yeah, he, did, he played Rock Band for years. Yeah. No, he, he, he do you sing? The, wait, Rock Band, Rock Band, right? Yeah, it you can sing in Rock Band. Yeah, of course, of course. I, of course. I could do it everything. I could do everything on on expert in Rock Band except for drums. I was on hard. Wow. Mm, drums are tricky. I just played it all the fucking time. <laughs> I had a thousand <laughs> songs of DLC in Rock Band. <laughs> Yeah, my that, uh, my yeah. experience with Rock Band was similar to that, except I just didn't do singing, and I could do I could do drums on Expert, but I couldn't do anything else on Expert. I was like, this is easier because the buttons are bigger. They're exactly. <laughs> each other. I can't miss exactly. them. <laughs> wow. Oh, you can. You can though. That's the problem. No, I, I just the 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 pedal. The pedal just mm-hmm. broke my brain. It also is just a huge pain in the ass to set up the drum set for Rock Band and have space for it. Yeah. So I just had less time with it in general and uh, just kind of would frustrate me and wear me out compared to like I was already onboarded in Guitar Hero 2 and 3 to, before Rock Band came out to, to play guitar and bass. And singing, weird that- I just can do. It's not very hard. Well, wow, it is way to show off. It is. It is very hard if you don't have practice. I mean, I, I, I went I went to expert very quickly in rock band. I can as only far as pitch thing. shifting. It's where I it's, yeah, it's where I picked up the skill of being able to jump octaves but match the pitch still because that's the primary thing that you get trained by trained in rock band for. Because mm-hmm. what what happens is you have all these fucking songs like uh uh not my name is Jonas what's it called uh say it ain't so. By the Weezer, by Weezer, I said the Weezer. Uh, the Weezer. There's all these. Well, you know, you, you remember that song, right, Andrew? Say it ain't so. Yeah, like yeah, it has, so. it has all of those lines where he keeps going lower. Especially like, especially like each line oh, ends just, with him going lower, and because you run out of if you already range. yeah if you already have a low voice and you're singing based on the 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 uh, the what he sounds like. You'll like try to go lower and you're like either my voice can't go lower 
or I can't project enough while trying to go lower to pick up on the microphone. Like you would just watch the arrow disappear <laughs> and you're like, fuck, yeah, that, yeah. how do I no? And you realize, so you, you pick up the talent of being able to jump up or down an octave to uh, do certain lines in your range and figure out how to make them work. And uh, I, I just, I just, I picked that up really quickly. So it was never very difficult. Uh, for me, the challenge was that there's some songs where the harmonies are more memorable than the than the lead singer that they're mapping to and so you'll in, you're inherently <laughs> try to like sing to the version of the vocals you remember but there's like two or three singers and the the one you're thinking of isn't the one that the line's following and so you have that, that, <laughs> yeah. that'll that'll fuck you up when pixie songs a lot i never even thought about that that's a weird nightmare yeah. to singing is fun and dumb but yeah my week my weekend was i, I recorded five hours of zelda then drove to Sacramento area to hang out with with the uh, toaster and and uh, Andrew and do a bunch of haunts. Then stayed overnight at Toaster's house because we we went to Denny's. Uh, oh my god, bro! We went Denny's. to we went to Denny's because <laughs> there mean? was like there, well there was this feeling well you know we we met up for a thing that's one hour long, and especially in my case it's almost two hours of driving each way. So there's like yeah. an inherent feeling of getting more out of it. But even then, like. Like we stood, we stood around in the parking lot and talked for like an hour after the thing, and then we went to Denny's and waited an hour to get served, and then ate bad food because that's what the only option. That's the whole menu of Denny's. That's just you just ask for the bad <laughs> thing, and you're like, I would like the bad thing. Toaster planted it in my brain uh, that we should go somewhere and get shitty shakes, and so I I got a shake when I was there, and then I was just laying in bed in Toaster's spare room, and I'm like. This was a mistake <laughs> because <laughs> I'm like, or the shake, the shake. Cause I'm like, I'm like, oh. I was up till 4am just laying in bed. I'm like, I'm not going to be able to go to sleep until this is like done with. And I didn't, <laughs> I didn't plan ahead. So I didn't have any, like, I didn't have like melatonin or anything on me or like, uh, or a change of clothes or any other uh, options. Cause I figured, Oh, it's, it's, it's things like nine to 10. I'll just I, come home and be home I at told midnight. You, I told you to pack an overnight bag. Yeah, I know. And I thought about it, and then I was like, "That's dumb. I'm not gonna be. I'm probably gonna be. Home, I'm probably gonna be home by either midnight or one. So, or it's 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 fine. But then, but then we didn't. And it uh, wasn't. So I I pretty much like was asleep finally from like four to ten or something, and I felt like trash all day, and drove home, and freaking just did some tiny amount of stuff I could get done before going to. Freak East Coast furry karaoke night. So f their evening starts at my five. <laughs> uh, so what's what's wild about this though is that Keith goes to this furry night, and I go to our local Sacramento furry meet. And at the Sacramento furry meet, I overhear someone saying, "Yeah, I skipped VR karaoke to come here." <laughs> yeah, me too. And then they were like, what else did you do today? And they were like, I watched boring Keith's new video. And I was like, what? And then I looked at them and I was like, boring Keith was good. Like, he could have come here. We, he came to the last one. I, I was in that video. That's cool. He's doing karaoke <laughs> with like, with like, you know, George and Paint Fox and Horror Buns and stuff. And they were like, oh, my God, we skipped that to come here. And he skipped this to go there. And I was like, well, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Near miss. <laughs> yeah, because there's, there's an event called Roar that's at uh, the Bear Bar or whatever it's called. Yeah, Bear Dive. Bear Dive Bar and in Sacramento. And uh, 
I went last time, but this time it was like I, I keep not I keep missing out on this karaoke thing, partly because it's like the same night that we do the stream. I thought it was during the stream because I kept hearing seven, but it was seven for them. So it's like central or something. So I, I, I made the, the time to go there this time because I think next week I'll be at the convention and I'm like, I, I, I keep getting FOMO about this thing. So I went and uh, yeah, like I <laughs> it was eventful. George and Paint Fox weren't there. They, I think I think. I think Paint Fox has been there before. I don't know if George ever has, but there was like there's Horror Buns, the creator of Clawstar Wrestling. There was Jericho, the creator of Remember the Flowers. I spotted uh Rami, the creator of uh Shelter, but he kind of came and went. And I spent a decent chunk of the time just talking with the programmer, the writer, and the artist, all three of them that made uh uh before you depart for a chunk of the night. That was just it's it's entertaining. They they have a VR. What happens is they have a screen where you select songs, but via this awkward search interface and so on. On the right side of the stage, on the left side of the stage is a list of the songs that are queued up right now, and you can only queue up one for yourself. So you you just put a new Makes one in each time you get in, and that's how it, it keeps the rotation going. And because VR chat, it's got superpowers. It's the the karaoke stage becomes this like this like cosmic horror entity that has power over everyone in the room and and controls things and you cannot stop it <laughs> like it's just it's very entertaining that it's just this immutable force that cannot be reasoned with once it starts moving so <laughs> you're all in a room that has a stage and a bunch of seating and people like wander off and form circles and chat with each other and then go hang out by the stage and watch the singer and and whatever they're feeling like at the moment but every time a song ends and the next one starts the 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 stage doors close they're like they're not curtains it's like japanese like paper doors and uh as the doors are closed the the singer appears the person that was singing appears back in the room the person who's next in the queue whether they're aware or not just disappears and appears on stage alone behind the closed door and then it just opens to unveil everyone looking at you and the and the stage either the screen with the lyrics and stuff and it just goes like there is no like warning it's starting you just if you're if there's three pages <laughs> of cued songs and you forget what you put on in or even and stop looking to see when you're going to come up you're just suddenly on a stage <laughs> and you're like, fuck 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 <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> It's yeah, that's very, a real that's a real VR or uh, sorry, that's a real karaoke experience at it's, that it's, point. It's very amusing like, that it works that way. <laughs> so it's called skill gap. It's people who can tell who when it's about to happen and people who can't. That that was yeah. Yeah, that's that sounds about normal <laughs> for my at least from my experience of doing karaoke. I've never been to a karaoke thing. I never really? that's my first time yeah. doing karaoke. Uh I've been to it twice, but I think the first time I went, I didn't sing because I wasn't confident. Like, Ooh. I don't, I didn't. Well, okay. First of all, it was the first time I had ever gone to karaoke. It was in Japan at a karaoke bar, which is fucking loud. Oh, yeah. Like, it's yeah. incredibly loud. Uh, so there's almost this, like, I don't know, paralyzation of, like, do I want to be that fucking loud? Like, do I really want to <laughs> sing, like, sing that loudly? Um, and also, the third was, like, I wasn't confident I could sing any of the stuff on the list. Like, everything on the list was, like, there. all the English songs was, like, I don't know these. And all the Japanese songs was, like, I don't, I can't sing in Japanese. So, like, it was just, just like, <laughs> what am I? That was one of, my I one of my takeaways was that a shocking number of people could sing in Japanese at this. Yeah. yeah. I think Japanese is, like, how weaves. can you not, Andrew? 
I because I don't. What do you mean? Sing, how can you not? I, because I don't it's sing the, like, the openings of anime songs. I can sing in like, Japanese. Yeah, no. I don't watch yeah. anime I, anymore. I don't. I don't. I don't. I have try cheat to codes. I'm Portuguese. Can't sing in the, Japanese. The sounds are all the same. If the I could sing in Japanese, I would have done Wild Side. It, it's again. It is more of the fact that I do not have the lyrics of the songs memorized, Memorize, and I'm not going yeah. to try and read Japanese while yeah. I'm yeah, on a stage. Because I don't, I don't like, have the romanji. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can so still like without romanji. Yeah. So like the problem is, is just it's not a. It just wasn't a good time. But the second time I went was very like. Uh, it felt like a battle royale type thing. Like as soon as the song ended, boom, next song. But you don't, you can't see who was playing. You can't see what song's coming up next. You just have to like hear. Basically, it does like a a brief couple of seconds where it plays like the beginning of a song, extra long, um, and that is like your indication. Like, oh yeah, I picked that song. <laughs> That's the song I picked. Like nightmare. It was a terrifying experience. Plus, the one, yeah. On the one hand, I can't blame you for being intimidated by singing Jap- uh, singing uh, karaoke in the land of karaoke. But on the other hand, <laughs> I can't believe you wouldn't sing karaoke in the land of, the land of karaoke. Wow. I mean, if I next I mean, time the I big go, thing is I that would definitely Andrew's do it, on but... trial. Yeah. In Japan, right. I mean, the big thing is like doing actual like doing box karaoke and not bar karaoke. Like bar karaoke in Japan is actually like not as popular as like just going renting a private room for yourself and your friends. Yeah. yeah, that's that's what we did. Yeah, we just did like a a private room, and yeah, and that's yeah. just yeah. It's a different experience. It's a different experience. That's the best way to do it. Of... I love it. Really, I yeah. I feel like I for me I'm the opposite. I prefer the in front of random strangers approach because I feel like the judgment level is a lot less because <laughs> like everyone everyone in that room sucks. But there is the the only thing I hate about it is that some people don't understand how to do karaoke and not in the way of like they're bad at, at like singing or any of the singing part. It's like the choices in music. Like it's really important to like, I don't know, keep a mood with karaoke. It's like the, Oh, vibe. it's the vibes factor. Yeah. Yeah. Like the vibes, like people are really bad. Sometimes are really bad at keeping the vibes of karaoke. Like when you're sitting there and you're talking with people and whatever, you don't want to be listening to music that is like sad and depressing. Like you don't, you don't <laughs> want that. Yakuza. No, I mean even Yakuza. <laughs> I don't want that. Like I don't want That's sad. Like if I'm trying to talk <laughs> to somebody, and so like when the second I sing, time I went to church, I sing a sad was song. Like that. <laughs> Why? Why would you sing a sad song at a fun I, event? I I sang sometime That's around midnight. That's super common. By... That's normal. Yeah, no, I sang. It's uh, very rude. I sang some t- uh, sometime around midnight by Airborne Toxic Event. I also <laughs> I did uh, the, re- the, rest, the 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 other one was sad but upbeat sounding in that it was a uh, feel good uh, feel good drag by Anne Berlin because I listened but... to so much weepy alternative music in the odds. And then, and, uh, and again, that, then I picked it up with the, the I did room. Inside Out by Eve Six, and I did uh, A Man's Gotta Do from Dr. Horrible, which, mm. uh, uh, so I didn't know how this worked. I thought this was a relatively standardized thing, but what it's actually doing is pulling YouTube videos from karaoke channels. So each one of these yeah. ones has a different format. And when I did A Man's Gotta <laughs> Do, I was on stage alone, and it started showing all three voices in no particular order because eventually that song is 
it starts off as Neil Patrick Harris. It becomes it becomes Nathan Fillion. And then there's a bit of Felicia Day. And then for the final fourth, it's all three of them at once harmonizing while singing different lyrics. Because that's a, because, yeah. the, because the entirety of Dr. Horrible is insane. <laughs> and it's, a, it's very entertaining, uh, the, the, way, the way those songs work with the layered vocals with completely different lyrics and everything. But having all three parts show up on stage... Uh, at once and having to parse what the fuck you're looking at is so paralyzing that I just lost my mind. Uh, yeah, I can imagine. Stressful. Yeah. That was a, that was amusing. Also, uh, Inside Out is too fast of a song for karaoke. Uh, it's just it, it's one thing when you're playing rock band and you're hearing the real song in its entirety with full audio, and you can tell exactly what the timing is, and also Rock Band itself has a very consistent scrolling vocal track, so you know the timing of all the words, and you can see the little lines that indicate when they happen and what their pitches and so, so on are. Karaoke's interface is chaos, <laughs> and it's hard to hear the weird, like, off-brand shitty version of the song that you're pl playing so it gets really confusing to try to tell what the timing is for inside out when you're when you're like in a loud echoey room essentially and you can't hear the song and the uh every single line uh is playing at a different speed and you have no sense of like the pacing and timing of what's happening right now that was a disaster don't do that the experience of your in-ear monitors failing when you're on stage, which happened to me. Yeah. But I played the guitar, so oh. who cares? I can hear the drums. The furry karaoke is just like normal karaoke, except a bunch of people are stepping on each other. <laughs> Wait, okay. what's the... I mean, why, why? People, There's a bunch of people in full-scale VR, and they're just like fooling around. Just like, you got people dancing together, you got people like, they got, you'll have like someone laying on the floor and people stepping on them. You'll have, uh, people like to take advantage of the scale change that's now universally implemented in VR chat, where you can change your size no matter what, basically. So mm -hmm. you have people that are like bulging into the ceiling and, and crouching down to fit in the room. And then you have other people that are like standing on like dressers because they're like three inches tall and they're getting the honey I shrunk the kids perspective of the room. That's the best perspective. There's just chaos happening around the room throughout. And then every now and then, like, ten people wander off to around the corner to the bed. What are you, what are you guys up to okay. over there? And then yeah, you, just get, you just get summoned by the fucking karaoke god and you're forced to do a song. Nice. <laughs> nice. Then the night before we did The Haunt, that was an experience. The, uh... Four... It was four rooms with lines leading up to them. Uh, the first one was definitely the worst one, so I can see why it had the least line. <laughs> you didn't like the uh, the Deadlands. No, Deadlands was pretty bad. It was uh, there was a there was some <laughs> really cool animatronic things, like the guy that's hanging from the ceiling by his entrails and freaks out. Like a lot of the mm -hmm. animatronics were pretty cool, and they'd hide. They'd usually have a strobe light in the room with them to hide the. Uh, roboticness of their movements and it just made them look more fucked up and real and like off-putting yeah the uh these poor these poor actors have a tough time figuring out how to react to people because like 
everyone they're like trusting everyone to collectively maintain an etiquette of moving in small groups and staying together in those groups and so on yeah and so they keep like trying to react and then reset and so on and, and say like they're some character lines and so on uh there's that one that we did with the like the witch one where they they clumped us into a group of 10 of like like 10 with like three other people or whatever like they're trying to like build up a group but that doesn't work because immediately the people that aren't part of our social group will just split off and so that now the yeah. actors are just in chaos mode because no one's moving together like they don't like uh these people it's not it's admittedly not never explained out loud to people but they don't seem to intuit the fact that the reason you're in groups is because the the stuff has a timing and so you need to stay together to have the scares work and so on i mean the, the reality of haunted houses is just that every single time you go to them even at high production value places even at places where they're grouping you up like you will miss scares like it's fine it's just yeah. the, that's the nature of funneling people through these houses so there's i think it's I, a little bit of a lost yeah. cause like trying to get us to be yeah. together anyway because it's like there's no way to get everyone in a room in time for a queue every single time but for the middle yeah. two which were also the best two uh the choice was made to put me and Andrew in the front. <laughs> I don't like those choices. And, Andrew, and specifically, Andrew was forced to just lead the group. <laughs> and at one point, I'm not, I, I'm not a very, uh, I'm not very good at scary situations. Yeah, and at one point, mm. I betrayed him. Where when the level, when yes. the the mine was at its darkest, I just grabbed him. <laughs> Which should be yeah, a tell, so honestly, because the, mine... the actors can't grab you. <laughs> yeah well that's it's not about it's not about the reality it's about the suddenness of uh a sense yeah. that you're not that you're deprived of right like nothing touches you not you can't hear anything and see anything it's oh, mostly yeah. just like uh you can only hear right you can just hear like people and the sound effects and screams but every other sense is like de devoid of anything. So it tries to mess with those senses. It sprays water on you. Like they just uh, hang a bunch of strings from the ceiling that you have to walk yeah. through that just yeah, upsetting. That you like through. you can't see them and you can feel them on your face. I kept making a little house yes. over my face with my hands. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I, would, I would just make a little, a little house with my hands, like a little point and hold it like ahead of my head, like a, like a, like a baseball cap visor. And that was a, uh, that was just keeping them off my face. I hated. The, I just hated those parts. I'm like, I'm not walking through these with my face. <laughs> the covering COVID. So like, yeah. So yeah, exactly. So the the so the reaction of like having someone touch you or something touch yeah. you is like, yeah. Like what is you know, the uh, ah. the mine one was fun because it was this. Uh, it took place in a, it was it was didn't take place in a basement. It took place in a mine, but it was it was built in a basement, so it actually was. Uh, protected from light pollution and starlight or anything like that so it just was pitch black in there except for when they felt like having light and so you're just trying to navigate a bunch of weird jagged shaped hallways and trying to figure out where the hell to go half the time and uh just that experience crossed with some surprise visuals and audio and at one point a train came at you <laughs> or yeah, just, I, don't these, know. I, I think these... it was supposed to. I think it was supposed to be a mine car. Is what was supposed to yeah. be coming at you, but they just, like, just had to make a sound effect. So yeah, you get, you get you get the light, the light and steam whistle flashing at you when you uh when you were in pitch black a second ago and all that. There's some fun use of like fucked up uneven ground that you they have to walk on and just not feel right throughout. Uh, at one point there was just this bizarre structure we couldn't make sense of because we hit a dead end, and there was like. 
a sloping membranous like membranous. hanging tarp thing that we couldn't tell if we had to just push past it like a Japanese doorway like at a restaurant or whatever or if it was like you had to crouch <laughs> under it or like we couldn't make sense guys, of the shape of it you guys made it was this so into dark. a way it was way literally more pitch intense black. thing than we it was we couldn't see anything so we couldn't tell what we were supposed to do to continue there was a big sign with a light on it right before this that said low clearance and then you walk and there's a None there's of a tarp that. hanging that has a fan blowing behind it to make it seem like it's a a like a cavern that's down, but you just crouch and you 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 crouch under it, and then it's not gonna crush you. You can push the tarp tarp up if you need to. But I know, but I don't, don't want to get on my hands and knees and crawl in the dark through a crawl space. <laughs> that's what it's designed for. It's upsetting, it's fine. especially since it wasn't just dark. It was literally I couldn't see the shape of the space. Like I walked, I crawled face first into a wall at the end. <laughs> <laughs> because I couldn't it, it was literally you can't see anything it was, that was that was well, brutal but you, I kept getting cheap, fucking could... Halloween slime bukkake the entire time I perfectly centered myself on every single like spray trap and so I just had like <laughs> moisture running down the back of my shirt and like random chunks of wet in my hair and so on and just like yeah it just felt gross <laughs> I was getting targeted directly they, they might be able to to because they have ca uh, infrared cameras on you all the time, right? Or is Maybe. it all? I, I I don't think these things are aiming. Oh, okay. I think they're just motion sensors that go off to play noises or shoot air or water at you at certain times to fuck with people. Because those are like the only way. Those are the those are like the ways you can touch people without touching them because you're not allowed to touch them. Because mm -hmm. even if you could touch people, you probably wouldn't want to because there's like the a, there's like a safety risk for everyone involved so like yeah. if you start making people flip out they it's might swing form. yeah like i've heard i've heard about like people like actors getting swung at and stuff at haunts that'd be that'd be bad there's a lot of children mm -hmm. there's a lot of children actors being a little nightmare gremlins <laughs> Just children actors or children. There, there were like, yeah, there were like a handful of children actors, and I was like, wait a second, are you really? supposed to be here? <laughs> like, is that legal? Yeah, there was way more children work? there than expected. Yeah, like, didn't you say it's like a volunteer thing for a church or something? No, 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 for the community. church. It's for the community. It's yeah. it's in an abandoned church, so it takes place oh. in a church that I assume either moved and I think it was the church that moved into the mega church they built like a little down the road. Cause there's like a, like a fucking city, like a baseball stadium or a football stadium sized church, uh, further down the road. It's fucking ugly and ginormous, but the, uh, but I think that church, cause like it was also a huge church. I think that was also used, uh, for that one prior. Yeah. Cause I was gonna say like, so, like kids probably aren't technically labor. They're just fucking around. It's more of the time. Like, I the, I know the park closed at like, like it's 10 too or late. Whatever, These kids still, can't be up still. It's yeah. 10 p.m. Well, <laughs> like working that late seems almost like even if it's not technically legal work, it's still. They're, they might still be rotating odd. them out anyway. You say that, but it, uh, why are you assuming that labor laws is something? No, well, I'm just saying. Are something. Just, you, pr you probably. I mean, I, this I, wouldn't qualify for labor laws. This is volunteering. Yeah. 
I'm just saying yeah. they, they don't seem yeah. massively organized. I, I figure like this is probably just oh yeah, these the, these people are gonna be just every individual person probably is like yeah, I'm I, I can be around from like seven to eight or whatever, and like you just have like a variety of whoever's showing. I can be up. around it's seven not, to eight, but I have to like bring my kid with them. me. Is that okay? Well, I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, I mean, like, including the kids, like they probably just have like a oh, range oh. of when they were gonna show up. Uh, I don't imagine anyone can make them stay. So <laughs> my mom said I have to be home at ten. You just show up for an event. And you what, do you took the light, did you take the light rail to get there? <laughs> like, the kids are probably having fun. I, I, I don't I think, think the kids got there the, on the their kids own. Parents you, you're making strange leaps. Yeah. <laughs> you could have taken the bus. I, no, I, I think these kids just wandered what around the bus, parking lot. Colonel. They just picked them up. <laughs> what oh, you seem to think that uh, the United States has public transport. No, I, I, I watch some YouTube channels. Hey, I know. That's all, you can't <laughs> say that. There was literally public transit right next to it. <laughs> Was there was there, a public though? transit into it. <laughs> yeah, there was. I think the station was like a 10 or 15 minute walk up from where it was. That's but not I, right next to it, though. But you're, you're standing I mean, that's, right that's to reasonable considering most places don't even have it within like 30 to 40 minute walking. <laughs> that's fair. Like a bus stop sometimes is like, there's a bus stop? Because you just don't know where the hell you would find it in like the deep suburbia crawl. You would just be like, yeah, oh, yeah. isn't it? It has to be on a main street connected to like business. So, <laughs> yeah. Either way, it was a, a good location with two with a lot of parking, but for some reason, not a lot of. It did not feel like as many people as there were cars. Like it almost felt yeah. like too many cars. <laughs> the place didn't seem super super crowded, but the parking lot was both huge and completely full like yes obnoxiously full i didn't know there was a i didn't know there was a third parking lot like there was one coming in on the right that was tiny and obviously not uh, obviously full so i'd even try looking at that one and then there was one on the left i didn't know you could keep going and find another one to the left because all the signs pointing that direction said exit so i'm like that must that must be the exit so one point I, i i looped like three times through the second parking lot not finding a place to park and at one point i i I thought I saw that there was like this middle island with trees and stuff and that around behind it there was a line of people parked there and so I'm like how do you get there and I'm like I so I went I made a mistake of driving past these white poles that are meant to stop you because I thought it would loop around to that spot that people seem to be parking but it didn't there was a surprise line of cars directly in my way facing me and so then I was stuck in like this like little horn like trumpet shaped like straight linear endpoint that had just enough range at the end of it to taunt me into trying to figure out how to do a 75 point turn but uh that was not in the cards so i then had to straighten myself back out and just back all the way through the entire lane that i'd come down all the way back through having to thread my needle the needle back through the 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 poles that you barely fit through so that was just a a dumb moment out of desperation, but uh, the t- the clock was ticking. Where I was like, "Oh fuck! I was supposed to be early for this thing, and I'm be- quickly becoming not late, not early at all for this thing." And I was trying to get there and not be the person that like fucks this up. Even though when I arrived, it was quickly apparent this was way more of a loose thing that you just kind of like they're just kind of like getting people to vaguely show up at this hour so that people don't all show up at the same time, and there is no actual like appointment. I didn't know if a haunt was like. 
when you talk about getting in and doing all the rooms, I didn't know if there was like a tour guide person like like controls your group and like shepherds them through all the things no. on a schedule and then kicks you out. So I thought I was going to be late for something that was important because I thought this is a weekend oh, of my yeah no this is my first haunt and my first karaoke in two days. Uh, I've been to haunted houses, but that like just ones where you just you just show up to a single thing and then you go in and then you're out and there's just a line like a like a theme park ride i've never been to like an organized event like this that has something resembling a schedule so i didn't know what was going to happen but uh mm -hmm. yeah parking sucked good story I i'm talking about parking. somebody saved me <laughs> i'm sorry my idea was just to talk about Baldur's gate 3 and, and so I, I i didn't go to a to a haunted house you need to do the homework <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do the homework. And you're all still at the beginning. You're still baby uh, Baldur's Gate 3 players. Yeah. We started it's late. A, it's D&D. &D. It's a good it one. Is, it is the best game. It's just incredible how best game it is. Like, Outer Wilds is the game, right? It's the video game. and it, Like, I think everybody should play Outer Wilds, but it's still not you know, it, it's like an acquired taste after because some people are looking for different things in video games. Like, you know, maybe maybe people like action, maybe people like strategy, uh, or or they like multiple different characters, and that's the sort of stuff that video games offer a lot. And so, if you if you're looking for a game, then somebody tells you, "Hey, we'll go play out play Outer Wilds." You're not gonna find that in Outer Wilds. You're just gonna find this completely new experience. Well, it's not completely new, but it you know this puzzle exploration adventure thing that's touching and beautiful. At the same time, and it's surprising and all that. So it's it's an experience in and of itself. Baldur's Gate is a known quantity. When it like whenever people talk, hey, tell me about a, a good RPG. Obviously, I have all, all the good old RPGs that I like, and and newer RPGs. There are a few that are good, but Baldur's Gate is just that. It's just like yeah, just you like you like strategy, you like role playing, you like stories. Go 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 for it. Yeah, absolutely, and it's I am. I, I am baffled every time I play, well, every day I play the game, or every even when I don't, I just like think to myself, it's incredible that we have Ballsy Three. <laughs> it's just so good, yeah. and like we gotta have a podcast with Bird about it, where we just where we dig into how much of a miserable time he's had with the game. Yeah, that's the but thing, though. It's the other side of of uh, the problem is just being... that we don't we we, we 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 can't be in a conversation where he talks about anything yet because. We haven't seen anything yet. We're not in. We yeah. haven't done anything yet, so I can't yeah. do that yet. But I'm just so curious. Okay, like he's not filming it, so I don't know what kind of nightmare things are happening. But it's just like it's just falling apart said, for him. He's just having a terrible time. From what he said, he's just encountering the shortcomings of role playing games as they are in 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 the computer space. The things yeah. like you know, it's just. There's surprises that are pro popped up on you. There's missions that you're not going to be able to complete because you fucked up and you didn't mean to. Like I'm a very strong proponent of of saves come just to make your experience as tailored to you as possible. And when I say saves come, I mean you know saving the game a lot in, and being ready to reload when you don't like the results. And just be honest with yourself as you play. Like I'm not saying like I, some people will like oh I failed that role I'll reload. Sure, that's fine as well if you like that sort of experience. Hundred percent go for it. Because, you know, that's the player in control. And I, I think that that's an important thing. But 
that's like cheating, right? It's if you if you fail a role, because in, in Baldur's Gate, so for those people who are not aware of this game, please go play Baldur's Gate 3. It's amazing. Uh, but if you don't know, if you haven't played, basically in dialogue or outside, uh, you are like in a tabletop role-playing session, you're told to roll a d20 and add to that your bonuses or whatever you may have uh, on the relevant checks. Like somebody... Uh, is trying to intimidate you or or you're trying to int intimidate somebody. You roll intimidation. So you roll a d20. That's a 20-sided a die. Uh, and you add your uh, intimidation bonus, which could be like two. So yeah, so you get like 15, right? But the difficulty class for the check was actually 20. So it was a very difficult check. So 15 doesn't pass. You can just reload the save that you did. And I know some people are doing that, but that, you know, that's cheating, right? That's It's fine, in my opinion, but it is still cheating. But other things like Imagine you went on a quest to save this girl and you arrive there, you sort of fuck around looting the place before after you see the girl and it's just like, uh, I, I'm looting all these boxes here for like a minute and then when you look at the girl, she's dead because somebody came up to her and killed her. And like, oh, that sucks. Baldur's Gate is a very good game that kind of rewards you rolling with the punches, but if you don't like that, reload, go for it. I, I just, I, I, uh, I, I'm, I, I don't see any value in, in being like, oh, if I knew what was going to happen, I wouldn't make that choice, but I'm still going to live with the consequences. Like, personally, I don't think that's, you know, if you don't like that, reload. And I think that's what Bird was uh, talking about, some of his troubles. Obviously, we will have to have a chat with it about it, and we should. Yeah. Uh, I think, apart from Bird, we all will finish the game, so. Uh, in a year or so. <laughs> what? Is or Bird two. not finishing it? Yeah, I think he stopped. At least last time I heard yeah, him heard talk about, about it. bounced off. The thing that stood out to me is he like, said he yeah. said that his his standard of quality is that uh, he wouldn't stand for anything that happens in the game that he wouldn't accept happening at a in a tabletop group. And I'm like, yeah. that's unhinged <laughs> because that's too much to inherently <laughs> a tabletop group. You're just a you're just with a group of people you can just talk to. And so when you're, when you're trying to figure out how a scene would work or logic, like that's inherently the impossible, like, yeah, yeah. Whenever I talk about how wild RPGs are as a concept, like the fact that people keep trying to make video games out of them, it's the fact that I keep framing them as like, yeah, they're essentially chasing D and D, which is an impossible standard that they will literally never meet. And that's why it's kind of a brilliant, beautiful genre is it's, it's a series of doomed projects that will never accomplish the thing that they're essentially trying to do. It's always a weird rudimentary series of dialogue trees and NPC hostility systems to try to recreate the idea of role playing with a system that reacts to you. Like it's always infinitely primitive compared to the things you can just make up in the actual tabletop yeah. RPG experience. So like I'm like that's not that is not a standard you can you can go in expecting of Baldur's Gate three because it's a standard that no RPG has ever met. The idea that they'd be and able to do that ever. Think, and I think Baldur's Gate gets the closest, but also in many ways it's not. It's it, it, there's limitations. Like for example, there's one companion. Uh, there's no need to talk about specifics. But imagine you have a storyline of one companion that tells you, "Hey, I have this thing going on with me," and um, and uh, yeah, it's just it's it's tough for me. Like I'm, I'm yeah. And you're like, oh, I want to help, and like, and they just tell you not to, right? And then the game doesn't give you any options to 
to ask anything other than that. On the other than the conversation you just had, you can't bring up the subject at all. That's not something that happens in tabletop. You can definitely interact beyond the sort of predefined oh, yeah. by the DM, right? But in a video game, there's it's pacing concerns. There's 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 like a, a plot a line later on, right? That's even a frustrating element of like even classic, uh, especially classic RPGs, is that like the NPCs which you inherently want to see as being your like adventuring party of developed characters that are reactive and interesting and have this depth and like, Oh, how would they react to that? And how would they deal with that? So many of them in the history of games join the party and then just follow you silently for 60 hours and any dial. <laughs> yeah. And you, you, pro you prod them periodically. Like, do they have new dialogue? Can I check them out? And it's the same. It's still the same menu as if nothing has changed in the last 30 hours. Like, huh? Mm -hmm. Okay. The characters reacting of, and developing I'm, is like the core to some extent. I mean, I'm I'm kind of of the mind here that like there are impossible standards on both sides that I think people don't realistically like understand yeah. when they're framing things like this as well. Where it's like one, video games are a conversation between the player and the designer. They are a they're literally defined by rules. That's the whole point. And I don't mean rules like system rules. I mean like in order to activate this quest, this character needs to see this event. Like, that's how games work. And the most interesting games, even things like, it's funny that you make this comparison, Colonel, where you're like, Outer Wilds is this kind of game, but Baldur's Gate 3 is this kind of game. I actually think they're pretty much the same kind of game. They're both <laughs> functioning on the concept of, like, setting up interesting things in the world that are trailheads for reveals oh, yeah. or context that changes your perspective of how you interact and how you engage with the game. So from like a design standpoint, like stuff like Outer Wilds, Inscription and Baldur's Gate 3 are all really, really similar. I see um, what you mean. Yeah, yeah. But like the way that the way that people talk about this, they're like, oh, Baldur's Gate 3, it's like a tabletop game. Tabletop isn't limited like video games. You can do whatever you want. But like I think when people say that they haven't actually played tabletop <laughs> because tabletop stuff like, yes, you do have the freedom of asking a NPC something and like you get the magic of improv, which isn't functional um, in a video game because video games can't improvise. They are hard coded. But like if we're playing Cape Escape with Ka and I'm like. Hey, Ka, I want to ask Mikey about what his favorite flavor of Skittles are. And there's like, there's an enemy that's trying to eat us at the same time. It's like, can I do that? Yes. What will it result in? My character dying or Mikey going, I don't think it's time to talk about that right now. That's literally the same thing as going to an NPC and being like, I want to talk to them about this MacGuffin I found. Oh, I guess I can't. <laughs> you know like there's no actual functional difference there it's just the there's perception of the rules i don't think i buy that argument because yeah. that's like an incredibly contrived scenario you had to walk into to make that like a comparable thing because you well, can't just point, ask an npc about any anything in in a uh, ta tabletop rpg they might sure, not have like an interesting answer but they will have like infinitely more stuff they actually can talk about than like whatever a sure. game designer pre-programmed into a thing yes but what, I, what I'm saying is that the the end result of a player interaction in a video game like Baldur's Gate 3 and the reasonable extent of what a DM can do and how impactful that can be on the campaign are not actually so far removed from each other. 
because there were multiple times even in Cape Escape, cause an amazing DM who was great improv abilities, and we and we improved a ton of shit that wasn't planned. And yes, yeah. you can do but things. We're also that doing a somewhat constrained kind of planned thing that has bespoke assets, and everyone's trying to yes. respect that worry. Whereas a lot of tabletop can exist in in a completely imaginary Theater void of the mind. and a grid on that you happen to have on a whiteboard, and that's just the extent of the visuals. So you can yeah. just go, and yeah, it's it's an ongoing like trope and joke that like, oh well. They 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 romanced the the villain. Now he, now he's a part of the party. Or uh, we yeah. were sp- they were supposed to go on a globe spanning adventure, but they really wanted to open a bakery. So now we're in our bakery arc. Yeah. Like that is genuinely yeah. a level of freedom that tabletop RPG do have. Like I don't find them very comparable. Yes. But it's that, not. A, like, I agree not everybody that that's a plays thing. Like that, but yeah, but my point is also like whenever we hear stories about like. Yeah, my party, my party wanted to romance the villain, so we romance the villain, and now they're now they're they're a bake they they run a bakery on a cute little town, and it's like when I that yes that can happen, but one most DMs can't account for that. Two most of the time those games aren't interesting. Like if you actually were to play through that <laughs> game, there isn't yeah. really anything happening. And those types of groups peter out really quickly because they're not actually, there's nothing happening. They're not enjoyable games and the limits of the systems become really clear when all of a sudden you're brushing up against LOL random cheese XD players who are like, well, I'm not going to, the villain wants to kill me. I'm going to give him a hug. It's like, that's not enjoyable. Sure, but I I think you're arguing against the specific (laughs) example and not the point. Which is that, well, like, my, my, it's the fact that, but this, my point that here, this stuff can go off and go and go off the rails. And, like, there's plenty of really good campaigns sure. where the trajectory is completely unexpected. Yes. Like, the but what I'm saying of, like, is when that... When you deliver the, the MacGuffin to the villain, and then you're like, you know what? We're planning a heist. We're going to steal that from him now. <laughs> like, that's sure, not an yeah. uncompelling <laughs> narrative to go on, even no. if the, but it is extremely off the rails. Yeah, but what I'm saying is that that's still like when I when I'm talking about with Baldur's Gate three isn't like you have ultimate unlimited freedom to do what you want. Like, of course, that's not the case. That's a thing with a video game. But when people talk about the unlimited freedom of tabletop, I think it's a very pie in the sky idealistic thing that pragmatically isn't actually that coherent or apparent in most tabletop settings i've played a lot of tabletop in my life i've played a lot of improvised tabletop i've played games where games go off the rails this is all possible yes and it happens very frequently yes a lot of dms do not plan for the exact campaign that ends up playing that is a higher degree of freedom than what most video games allow what i'm saying though is that the actual degree of freedom that most players will ever take advantage of in a game like Baldur's Gate 3 Um. is around the same degree of freedom that most people will ever take advantage of in a tabletop setting. Yes. The the bounds of these things are not actually... Yes. It's the the example of how, like, 85% of Mass Effect people play a Paragon Shepard with a default appearance. Like, it's the idea that when you make these video games, you what the the inherent shaping of what verbs and yeah. what outcomes they put in the game are built around likely player behaviors yes sure 
But even going from there, I'm saying I watch people talk about how their campaign is so wacky and is impossible to do in in a video game form. And then I play Baldur's Gate 3 and I'm like, actually, you can do this. It just doesn't play out as fancifully as your improv allows because improv has more flavor text that isn't actually mechanical. And Baldur's Gate 3 just plays yeah. things relatively straight. Sometimes you have to load a save 75 times in a row because you're trying to shove somebody off of a cliff and it just, why, yes. why, why isn't it working? Why, <laughs> exactly. why can't I just shove her off the cliff? She's right there. <laughs> like, what is <laughs> yes, happening? Exactly. The, the, the jank so, just happens at you sometimes. Yeah. I mean, and it's just, I guess what I'm saying in all of this ultimately is when people, I think people often mythologize the tabletop experience and then nitpick games especially centered around tabletop as like not living up to that experience when it's like bro i know you just want to play like a super high level battle master fighter three levels in rogue uh wizard sorcerer ninja ranger who dual wields weapons like i understand that when most people are complaining about not having freedom they're just complaining about the fact that there is a system of rules telling them no, which is very different than the actual level of freedom that a tabletop would reasonably me, allow in a setting or a campaign. For me, it's more like the lack of choice or specifically yeah. the there are choices that exist that lead to these outcomes. And if you want the narrative to go in a specific yeah. direction, there is technically a point in the flow chart where that exists, but yes. you don't know if it's ahead of you or behind you. If the choice is, is visible or you need to, yeah. or you can't tell which specific moment is the branch that creates that choice and so on. It's like I had, I had versions of this with both fallout four and tyranny where yep. there are massive branches about, those games are all about having these very divergent endings with these specific factions. That's what they're built around. Yeah. But mm -hmm. each of those branches happens at exactly one specific dialogue choice. And that's the yes. only time. And whether or not that moment is the the moment where it makes sense for you to mm -hmm. rebel or go against something is not mm -hmm. built into that choice. So like you will Definitely. make a choice in a tabletop RPG and we frequently do where it feels thematically resonant and emotionally resonant mm -hmm. for your character to be making this different choice. And that's frequently not when the choice exists in RPGs to the point where yeah. like, I, I always think about like how just the bizarre you have to, like, sit on things in games yeah. in, in like order I, I, to, I think to about, make things happen. Like I, I think about the bizarre writing of fallout four where spoilers for fallout four, I guess, uh, You've in that game, your your son's kidnapped, and then you find your son, and he's the leader of the institute because he's an old man now, and all this time has passed, and that's what's happened in Fallout 4. Uh yeah. so you inherently have an emotional reason to be at least you're supposed to. They're 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 be they're yeah. betting on their that you care about your son, who's not a character until now, so you don't know them, but he's your character's son, who you totally roleplay should care about. So you have an invested reason to see this institute thing out and figure out if you can reach him or if you can talk to him or if yeah. you can like find some kind of common ground. And bizarrely, they let you roam the institute and you can find computers that have a bunch of reports about fucked up stuff they're up to. And none of those reports spawn the trigger for you being able to confront him about the things you're finding. Then you get sent on a series of linear missions where you have no choices where you have to do increasingly fucked up things for the Institute, like uh, 
like up up to and eventually being a kidnapping. You have to kidnap for the institute. The exact thing that I just read documents about that I wanted to confront him about. Yeah. It's like what the fuck? I'm not. You're kidnapping people. What's what's going on? Institute people. You're my son. Why can't I talk to about to my son about him kidnapping people? Uh, so I get to the kidnapping <laughs> mission, and I see there's no dialogue options to opt out of the mission. There's no w- moment to protest against the mission. You can't try to resolve yeah. the situation in a way where you're like, "I'm, I'm that. That's it. No, I'm, I'm running. I'm running this specific operation. We're going against orders, and I'm going to face the consequences. I'm going to talk to my son about this when I get home or something." It's like no, you literally, you either just go through the kidnapping or you do what I do, which is you shoot the kidnapper. In which case. It does what every every Bethesda Fallout game does, which is you instantly fail out of every single question involved. No conversations happen surrounding it whatsoever, and the game just says, "Go talk to Preston. You're in the Preston ending now." And yeah, or, or more specifically, you go back to the Underground Railroad, and they're like, "Yeah, no, our entire storyline hinged on the Institute thing." So you 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 had to not make any choices for th- for six hours straight in order to make this storyline work either. So go back to Preston. Like if you if you. If you exert any level of free will moment to moment during quest chains in Fallout 4, you get sent to Preston. He's the bucket for you made, you thought you could role play in this game, (laughs) you fool, you idiot. And in a similar way. I mean, I definitely, I definitely think that's like, that's also a problem. It's like a problem with flag based games where it's like, it's hard to sequence break a game that is depending on you hitting a contextual point that you know tells the game you have seen x thing yeah before it's the, you're it's allowed the frustration to of the developers thinking that you would just be okay with your character doing certain yep. things unquestioningly I, and then making a choice later which is the equivalent of mass effect being hey kill everyone in this bar but make a moral choice about whether or not the leader should be spared the leader yeah that does like that it's that exact dynamic video games keep doing of just like but I just think you it, this yeah. is the one way to play this part of the game and we're ignoring all of the actual things that says about your character if you do that then make a choice later maybe and <laughs> you just have to hope that you, choice is coming that you get to role play eventually you think do you think that that's the problem with flag based events i think i think it's a more fundamental issue and it's definitely an issue of Bethesda games, but Mass Effect does suffer from that a little bit as well, not yeah. as much, which is uh, some games only have one way of telling a story. And Bethesda, for all their plastic skeletons, only has one way of telling a story, which is dialogue. And it, that doesn't happen in Baldur's Gate 3. There's there's environmental storytelling. There's there's uh, there's like discoveries that you make. Your cam- characters can remark on those discoveries. Um, there's, there's like logs. There's... Um, there's different characters that you can encounter at different locations in certain quests. Like one of the major quests uh, early on in Baldur's Gate 3 is so open-ended that that you're like, okay, there's three choices at me right now. I can I can steal, I can kill, and I can convince. Uh, or maybe there's four. There's even more choices than that. Just You can just yeah. sort of intuit from, from the way the quest is presented. But yeah. what is not known to you, and uh, I won't spoil it for you, you, you Toaster and, and Keith, and I won't spoil it for the viewers as well. What is not known to you is that there's even more options to complete that quest that, yeah. than, than you realize at first. And it's not like plot twist options. It's just sort of ways that you can approach the issue or even just explore uh, and, and just find different things. And you're like, oh, this is this adds other options to an already bountiful. Yeah, it's, like a, it's like a proper D&D approach to the idea of like this quest... This act isn't about completing this quest chain. It's about solving this problem. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But the game tells a story with different tools. And Bethesda doesn't do that. Bethesda, yeah, yeah, yeah. it just has dialogue. 
which is and like, and like when I brought up tyranny, like admittedly my fo- my memory is a little foggy on this game, so I, f- I find tyranny to be remarkably unmemorable as a game. Uh, oh, really? I feel it was like, really unrememberable. Yeah, I feel <laughs> I like people are largely over it already. But tyranny is the bad oh. guys won already, and they're ruling the entire kingdom and it's carved up to a bunch of bad guy factions of the bad guys that won so it's 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 old man logan and you're in california where the hulks rule (laughs) like it's it's old man logan basically yeah and uh what happens is you are sent on a series of missions to take to handle individual like regions essentially akin to like dragon age origins where you have to do each region's quest chain each each time and it's maybe a slightly non-linear order and there's a major there's major choices about the factions or whatever. But in this case, the the choices really are just stay allied with the evil faction you work with or switch sides are like the two competing choices. And so you essentially have one looming choice that's hovering over you the entire playthrough, and you either just continually never make it, or you make it once, at which point now you're permanently locked into the other storyline. Like that's the more or less the extent of the impactful choices you can make in this game because of how focused and linear it really is and how little it has to go yeah, with. Yeah, yeah. And the struggle yeah. here is that the choice to, to betray or the choice to not go through with a particular story's, a particular faction's uh, or region's storyline on this team is given to you once per region. Yeah. And it gets, gets to really weird moments where you get you reach the guy that's like the archivist or whatever he's like a he's like a lore guy that like can read yeah, with his he, hands was, and they they take a moment really they take a moment to explain to you like this guy can read with his hands like if he, if he holds a scroll he instantly memorizes the entire thing without having to read it and this whole chapter is about getting this forbidden knowledge super powerful scroll and the game keeps reinforcing the idea that maybe you shouldn't give it to him yeah. But the choice does not happen between that information and you giving it to him automatically. <laughs> There's yeah. no choice in between those to in any way use that information and act on it. And I'm like, what yeah. the fuck? <laughs> the fuck uh, is this yeah, game? Yeah. Like I started yeah, losing yeah, my yeah, mind. I'm like, why this guy why did this game repeatedly reinforce this lore and information? And then but like it's at the end of the day, it's tyranny, a game that has almost no choices. So you don't get a choice. Yeah. You, you just give it to him. Like you get two dialogue options that are both give it to him. And I'm like, well, then why did you like give me so much doubt about giving it to him? And then you can betray yeah. them. You can betray that faction off camera after that mission, because between yeah. each mission is when you can choose to leave and go and join the other faction instead. So it's so unsatisfying because you can't actually turn on somebody in the moment that they'd be pissing you off or making you do something you don't want to do. So you yeah. don't you're just not acting in character in a deeply frustrating way. And it technically has variables, but all of the all of the variables in that game are just waiting for the the fucking uh admittedly yeah. cool concept of being on trial at the end of the game where they then put you on trial for what your loyalty to the faction or the super god or whatever that is the person that runs all of the factions at the once overlord the uh yeah. the adjudicator puts you on trial for all your behaviors which is admitted which is of course like that is the that is the planescape style hour long conversation with a billion variables and different like things reacting to stuff you've done in the game but it's at the end of a game where you never do stuff. <laughs> you just play a bunch of yeah. linear dungeons and exhaust the dialogue over and over again and maybe make one choice once to change teams. And that yep. is why it's a, not a good RPG. <laughs> this is not a very yeah. good game, Tyranny. But I think and I, and I like other stuff, it's like cool spellcasting and stuff. But 
Yeah, the story is why we're there. I thought the spell casting system in that game was dog shit. I thought the the combat mechanics in that game was terrible because all things, it's so flat. Every single every every single magic spell is the same spell under the hood. It just has a different color, and then all you do is you put. It's like fucking Morrowind potion crafting it is. in a spell system, it, but you only have three different things you can do, and it just gives you a like different region. color. Yeah, so it, well, it was like it was a series. It was a series of runes that you combine together to create like different outcomes of spells and so on. It was it was a fun idea, <laughs> kind of like how the chanting is a fun idea. Yeah. Like I, I like I like yep. some of the stuff that pillars the pillars people of obsidians brought to spell casting. Like the chanters are a cool class in pillars. Yeah. I had two yeah. of them. I'm like, yes. It, <laughs> it, it, it's uh, the thing with the choices, though, is it, it, you need to. It, it's very much a contextual. Like you're right in what you're saying, but at the same time, Pillars of Eternity has no choices. If you're gonna look at it from that perspective, Pillars of Eternity one and no two does have choices, but the first one has no choices. It's something that even yeah. the developers admitted on launch that they oh, yeah. that basically they had to cut like the choice that you can they could make at the middle of the yeah, game. Yeah, no pillars is notably full of just you just doing the content. Yeah. And but yeah. that, that comes from a history of like Baldur's Gate one has no choices. The only reason why Baldur's Gate two has choices is because there's like two different quests at the middle of the game I, I think it's act five where you can choose to go with this faction or you go to choose to go yeah. with the other faction but obviously like there's a lot of choices though in the middle because all the side quests can be solved sort of slightly differently and uh, there's the dialogue trees that are in and of themselves are choices and and that's like the roots of the kind of game that tyranny is it's not you know you're right in what you're saying but at the same time, it's just sort of there's a lot of artifice on front of in front of uh, the lack of choices that, that m- sort of make up for that. And I think I like I recall I only played Tyranny once. I think I have the expansion. I, I yeah, I definitely have the expansion. The expansion but I, I, adds I, fucking nothing to that game. It is <laughs> you are not missing anything. But I recall like I recall the companion. I, I remember C- uh, Sirin being very fresh as a as a companion. I recall the uh, the choice I had to make for one of the uh like there's like a strong dude that is in your party or maybe he's not in your party but first or whatever there's a, and i recall the choice that basically i had to sacrifice his uh his mind <laughs> effectively yeah. uh, i didn't have to i just chose to do that and i thought all the like if you try to be a little bit cheeky about how you interpret uh your attitude to all, all the choices that are presented to you you can sort of like justify many of the evil options or the outright evil options and be like uh, either, you know, sort of uh, nobody told me or is this none of my business or things like that, that can, you know, uh, if you take the game at face value, don't make any sense. But in a let's play, it, it's kind of an interesting way of approaching things. You can just like, I was make just up following excuses. orders. Well, I, yeah, I don't like that, like that <laughs> sort of approach, <laughs> but I'm saying I'm, I'm, yeah, and I'm really not like I, I didn't go in that route, but that's also something you can do. Uh, I'm just saying, like, there's when it when you're talking about world changing events, there's leeway for, uh, for honest, complete arguments for for a lot of the evil choices to be made. And when I say complete, yeah. I mean that that's an important aspect because you can also role play characters that are contradictory. You can role play a character that just doesn't see the fullness of his choices 
right? And it's not something people do, but you can definitely do that if you want. You can, you know, you know what I mean? Like people who just need somebody to go up to them and say, "Hey, you're doing something wrong because X and Y," and they're like, "Oh, shit, I'm doing something wrong." That's you know, that's not that doesn't happen in video games, but it could you could do that if you want. You could just play a character who's, "Oh, I'm gonna kill a million people to save one." Sure, I mean that sounds right, right? Why wouldn't I do that? And there's there's people who would do that in in real life. Oh, I mean they wouldn't, but because that situation Stephanie happen, would. But... <laughs> <laughs> I've heard her. I've heard her talk about Madoka Magica before. Madoka Magica. I think, I think that's the one. It it, it sort of is. Yeah, that's no one of the though. things I wanted to talk about on this, and and kind of the reason why I I discussed like the bounds of a tabletop game uh, a minute ago, though, before all of this was just the 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 concept that you had said about like bird wanting to play this game in a way where he would only ever like where he feels stifled by the fact that he has to allow things to happen that he would find unsavory in an actual tabletop game and the i think the reason why something like that doesn't function in baldur's gate 3 or other games like that isn't because they're more limited than actual tabletop but because in an actual tabletop setting, even when you have a DM that's like improvising and doing interesting things, things will still happen that the players don't want to happen. Like you're still telling a story. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and I think uh, we is, you know, sometimes players like this are called like destructive players where they're like. Mm -hmm. Well, we're telling a story and it's all improv, so I should have the agency to just like do what I want and change what I want. But like playing tabletop with characters like that is like really awful. <laughs> like like because the whole contract of we're telling a story collaboratively is this is going to be a story. <laughs> so there are going to be things that happen no matter what that we are building towards. Like there are narrative ideas and themes and not all, you know, not all DMs are sandbox DMs, but I like to think that, and I feel like most DMs and most players who've played tabletop will agree with me when they say, like, at a certain point, the story and the themes of your campaign slowly begin to form. And it gets harder and harder to play against that as you are playing with a group of people, because when you want to tell a good story that's interesting and fun for everyone... You want to lean into the storytelling that has been set up. That's not that's not anything crazy. That's just good writing. So yeah. when you're playing, you know, when you're playing a tabletop and you're like, you know, or when you expl you, you complain, not you, but like when a royal person here, uh, the royal you complains I'm about, royal. Uh, you know, like, oh, I didn't <laughs> like Baldur's thing. Gate 3 because like a character... I, I was playing this character and then like an NPC I really like died and I couldn't do anything to stop it. It's like, yeah. And if if you were at a table right now and you were like, no, but instead of that happening, I throw a knife and like I rolled a 10, but they died. OK, well, instead of that, I'm going to try to potion and we're going to stop everything that we're doing to try to feed them and lay on hands. And like, yeah, you can improvise and you can do things like that. But like also read the room <laughs> like you know like sometimes yeah. a storytelling moment happens or sometimes things like that sometimes things like that not even have to occur but like sometimes it's best to cut your agency and take a step back from the situation to let something play out to make the conscious collaborative storytelling choice that, that allowing something to happen 
even if you could theoretically mechanically buy the 100% written rules of the game like well i'm going to stop and i'm going to throw a potion at them and then i'm going to lay on hands and i'm going to i'm going to action surge and do this and that and like sitting there and making a scene of it will just break the game and make it not interesting and make it annoying for the people around you and will make the story overall worse so i think that like it's it's just interesting to hear people when they complain about Baldur's Gate 3 for some like really nitpicky reason of like well i found a potato and i wanted to put the potato in the cannon uh, because it would have i wanted to see them try to shoot a cannon with a potato in it and it didn't let me this isn't as free as a tabletop game it's just like yeah but if you like spent 45 minutes doing that maybe it would be funny as a bit but like I don't think many DMs are going to be sitting here waiting for you to try to figure out the mechanics of rolling a potato into a cannon. Like, it's just like, at that point, you're not even you're not even critiquing a game adaptation of a tabletop game. You're just critiquing the concept of like, I wish I could waste more of my and my friend's time, which is like, okay whatever yeah in bird stuff it sounds more like the equivalent of like apparently he like just the act of wandering yeah. around triggers a bunch of like quests yes. that have yeah, timers yeah, and that yeah. he doesn't even know have started and then he just keeps yeah. walking along the wreckage of failed quests that he never even encountered and he's like what what did yeah. even happen here oh that's the other thing which is well, like, the frustration of I, just like when you this is the the struggle that happens when you try to add more mechanics yeah. to a game is that like the reason why certain other RPGs can be so comfy to play is because they just are action levels that are bookended by yes. dialogue. And the dialogue is yes. where the, the story and choices happen and the action is just action. And so you know exactly what's happening at every second. And every time you try to get more ambitious than that, you fly, you fly closer and closer to the sun of trying to have a fully reactive world where not only does dialogue affect things, but in a Dark Souls and Prey kind of way, like shooting characters can affect the story but also like not doing stuff can affect the story whoa and like stuff and like time consequences yeah. can exist can happen and it but like uh, this all it all bugs up against like the question of like something like say deus ex human revolution a game that yeah. has a weird section where they have you walk around an office and how long you spend there affects the outcome of the next mission for some reason because they had one kind of ambitious idea to do that but they didn't signpost it and it never happens again. So it's not part of the game. And so like, yep. it's a part, of, it's a part of training players and having them even be able to understand when choices are being made, because in so many games, choices only exist in dialogue, but in Baldur's Gate and other games, choices can happen just in your actions moment to moment. And it's also, if you don't know they're happening, then it's not fun. <laughs> like it's, it's frustrating. It's interesting that you bring yeah. this ex human revolution because it's the exact example of the opposite of what should happen um because rpg players have been trained for decades to talk to every npc in the order they appear on your screen yes and do all the yes i was just everything about this in the order that it appears and that's something that bird hasn't been practiced on i think yeah which is fair i mean the criticisms that he raises are fair but they they all like the audience doesn't the, the game is made for an audience that doesn't yeah. doesn't have that issue because it's been well, trained. And, and it's funny and that like, you. It's hard to say bring that, that up. that's even the case, though. 
It, it is. I mean, I'm not. I'm, I'm saying there's. Two I don't in, think that I, this I, is I, a bird issue. This is this is a common complaint in these these times of kinds of games too. I think and so. yeah, it you you hear this a lot. And again, I'm not criticizing Bird. I don't think he was playing destructively completely, and that's why he was having a bad time. You know, I'm sure he was just playing the game the way that he thought was good. It's just yeah, yeah. This kind of complaint happens really frequently, and it's really interesting because you see people say. I want a game that gives me freedom to do all this stuff. And then games that exist that give you the freedom to do this stuff, people complain because by giving you the freedom to do all of this stuff and have all of these things, you are inherently going to create a system where people will miss things or do things backwards or do them incorrectly. Yeah. Um, so what people actually thing. want is they want a system that is very open but waits for them. And that's the reason why, for example... Games like Kenshi are not as popular as games like Mass Effect or fucking Fallout 4 or, you that, know, that all of these RPGs that we think are bad. Yeah. yeah. So Ken Kenshi is like a, you know, a CRPG that takes place in like a post-apocalyptic world. But like when you get plopped down, the whole world is persistent and exists and everything is on a schedule and you just play and if you miss something, like if there's a shootout in a town 20 miles away from you and that's a quest given NPC that just through the RNG of how the roles happen gets murdered in that shootout, like, sorry, bud, this playthrough, you can't do that quest. You should have gotten there earlier. You should have looked out yeah, for like, it, I guess. You know, RPGs like really, RPGs rely on that sort of randomness of exploration and missing yeah. quests to allow for replayability. I yeah. Think. Old, and older, I think, older RPG specific. We're we're that we we're we're currently in a chokehold with that exact concept in Termina. Yep. Where it's just yes, like, exactly. What the fuck? Because me, <laughs> pl like, it, it, this this is a thing to get into. Like, there is no default player beha behavior in any of these games. Yep. Like, there's always like when you, that's why I was pushing back against you saying you, that players are trained a certain way. I'm like, ah. Every time I play an RPG, there's two competing ways of dealing with NPCs, and I never know which one to go with because they're both they both seem valid in different ways. One is to run around like an MMO and pick up every single quest. You have 75 quests, then try to remember what the fuck was happening in them and do them in whatever order you can do in this big, messy, nonlinear thing of doing like one objective at a time across 12 quests and rotating through them because that's just what's nearby. And the other one is to pick up one quest, then go do that quest. Then come back and find another quest. And yeah, you'll get surprised by new NPC interactions on the way. Like, ah, doing this quest, I crossed this bridge and this bridge has the thing happening. And now this is quest is happening and you might get sidetracked, obviously, in a ADHD, Zelda sort of way. Like, Tears of the Kingdom things. But like, there's very much a, there's, there's very much a narrative and even like just player memory and understanding the story and yeah. resonating with it incentive to not pick up all the quests and try to parse them out in a more reasonable That's way. True. And those are con directly mutually exclusive approaches yeah. to playing the game that do not work against each other. But the second way is the way that, that gets you to lose quest givers and things like that. Yeah. But it's just it's, yeah. the, it's the struggle there. And in, in Termina, I mean, it's a more fun way. Of I mean, I do it, think, I think in, in Termina, what we're experiencing that's completely wild is that like, it, there, that game, there is no default way to play Termina. Like, it immediately throws you into several possible branching directions to even navigate it. It has a save system yeah. that progresses time, and it also directly, it both builds on and contradicts the things you learned in the last game in a sort of Resident Evil 4 remake sort of way. Yeah. So you just absolutely do not have a default player behavior. Everyone's going to approach that game differently while they're trying to parse what the fuck to do in it. And... 
So I beat the game in our first run, and I encountered almost no NPCs in the entire video game. Hmm. <laughs> just yeah. in general. Like, there's a, like, this is a death game where the roster is shown to you periodically, and which ones are alive and so on is, is tracked. And throughout the... We literally beat the game, and I didn't know who several of them even were still, because I'd never seen their faces. <laughs> and, like, and I'm yeah. like, I was going... I went everywhere as far as i can tell i explored the full map i i went through several yeah. parts of the map multiple times over the course of the campaign i have no idea what these characters triggers were or where they went or what they're up to and now toaster's playing he has a full party of not only characters that i didn't recruit in my party he has a full party of specifically the characters i never saw <laughs> it's unhinged and i'm like what the fuck he's just he just walked down this alley at 2 p.m on on monday and he's just here now and he wasn't any other part of the campaign and like toaster's doing yeah. the exact like i somehow managed to perfectly thread the needle of missing every npc in the entire game and toaster's doing the opposite and i cannot actually i cannot from the outside justify his behavior as being more reasonable than mine <laughs> but that's so just what I this is yeah, I think with this particular case, like, it's it's an example of, like, I think the intended behavior and the default behavior are going to be two different things. That being said, there is, I do think, you know, we, I don't know if the creator of Terminant knows exactly what player habits are, but, like, industry-wise, this stuff is pretty well documented. Like, default player behavior and, like, what you can expect a player to do and how you can expect them to interact with and... Uh, respond to basic cues is like an actual thing that is objectively quantified and very very well understood um so that that does exist right like it is very there's a reason why games paint ladders with yellow paint splatter so that you really i was literally about to say that like you, you gotta paint you know, the crates yellow <laughs> yeah exactly because people because we know if you don't doesn't matter how good the level design is doesn't matter how well signposted is people will just not pay attention because they're trained to not interact with things that don't have their attention drawn to it that's similarly why certain types of games like souls games or like termina or like other other games that like buck trends and are like we want you to build your experience up from the ground and play this game like you've never touched a video game before and this is your first experience with it uh, are really challenging and difficult when you especially when given to people who play a lot of video games and i think that's also why people respond so positively to things like baldur's gate 3 because baldur's gate 3 strikes a really good balance between things you expect from video games if you've played a lot of video games and unique new things that build off its own systems really organically um but with with fear and hunger termina what's interesting is that i think our issue and i think your issue with your playthrough keith isn't that you did anything wrong i think it's that let's playing this game is the absolute worst way to play this game uh, because I think the default and intended way to play a Fear and Hunger game is uh, you play for 10 minutes, you know everything is lethal, you know that saving costs money, basically, it costs a resource. So uh, you sit down for 200 hours and you play that first day and you get as far as you possibly can without saving and you pray you have good RNG and if you don't have good RNG, you immediately quit back to title and you start back up. Like, I think that 
like how that game like. is. Yeah, it's a, yeah, yeah it's a, it's a game that's played. meant to be played like a roguelike, where you just keep starting yeah. over and you and you play it dozens of times, and that's when how you that's yeah. the only way you reasonably uncover half of what's exactly. even happening is that it's just there's yeah. nothing it's not signposted where things are you just yes. will encounter it eventually because on your 300th run you happen to go down this alley at sunrise yeah. and i do i do think that there is some clever signposting in the game of like oh this character walks to the north at the start and this character walks to the west and those are mutually exclusive choices, so you have to like that's the game telling yeah. you pick one or the other. You know, like that's cool. That's interesting. Yeah, the stuff. game, yeah, the but game opens with the salary man and the reporter literally walking in directions. But then, yes. but the, the characters that you're finding, I li they literally aren't at the the start. Yes. They're just not there. Well, like so you have no idea where the they example, are or what to expect of them. The example you never I was to gonna them. use is Osa, who is the mage uh, or one of the mages in in Fear and Hunger, where like I just encountered him in an alley. Like, they, they, there's no indication that he's going to be in that alley. There's no indication, you know, I looked for him. I couldn't find him uh, in the first time period that you have. Fear and Hunger Termina, for those who have not watched the playthrough or don't know about it, it has sort of like a Majora's Mask system where time progresses objectively and you cannot get it back. And it progresses when you save. And then every single time you save, when the time progresses, characters are on a different schedule. So they move to different locations. Um, and there are some of them that make some sense now that i figured it out where it's like in i think that it is a reasonable assumption or there's a reasonable logic to where some characters are where like we just met the doctor um daniel and he walked up to the village where everyone is sick and dying and he spends the morning the very first time block you have in the game investigating this village because he's a doctor and he wants to know why these people are sick and like yeah you don't see him walk up there but it makes it there's an, a reasonable assumption there that like maybe the doctor will be doing doctor stuff and that's where i would find him but we it's just happen to choose sensical wrong than that though because yeah. the morning is where the game starts and he's not there in the yeah, morning sorry because i've the definitely afternoon. i have been because i've been through the exact area he shows up in like 10 yeah. different times of the game and none of them were yep. the specific one where he's there which is like the afternoon of the first day and only you are then. you are correct it is he, afternoon he, it's not morning he's he's seemingly nowhere at the beginning of the game and then disappears immediately afterwards you, if you don't catch him exactly yeah. then then it's like well, I, I explored there no one was yeah. there like there are characters that make way more sense like karen goes off in a direction at yes. the beginning of the game and every time period she's like a few levels deeper into that route until eventually she's like inside the city and it's like okay this character yes i know what her deal is shockingly i recruited her almost like those are correlated concepts <laughs> yes but the what, what i was going to say with dan is that like dan being a doctor going to the place like you can at least uh, say okay maybe maybe yeah. there's something here where i could like i could correlate this on a second playthrough or like make a reasonable assumption that maybe if i want to find him i should look for where sick people are because he's a doctor yeah it like, just that's involves, cool. it I just can involves playing the game like a data miner where you're checking yes. that location yes. every single time period to see if he finally appears yes what doesn't make sense is why is osa meditating in this this alley surrounded by really annoying monsters 
and <laughs> jump scare encounters. Like, that's just a fuck you. That's just a, like, you happen to be here. Good luck. Because remember, we in, in I guess some of the people who aren't on Patreon won't know this, but at, at one point we we deal with Osa and then, if you remember in the playthrough, Keith, immediately after we did that, fucking needles spawned beneath us. And I was like, ah, and had to run. <laughs> and, like, like, so this is not like a, you know, there are definitely moments in that game that are just there to say fuck you. Um, because it is that roguelike sense of, like, all right, I am going to get information by consistently starting and failing and restarting. And the interesting part of the design on that front is that the game can be trusted once you have that information. That information is not, it, it may be placed randomly, but it's reliable in that if I know where someone is at a certain time, they will be there every time. So that's, that's I think, the, the grand design of, of Fear and Hunger is just like uncovering the, like finding the puzzle pieces. You're putting together a, a puzzle that's entirely one color. Right. Like you're not building a picture. <laughs> you're you're building a, a 1000 piece puzzle and all of the pieces are just jet black. Um, yeah, it's just but a, when you know where certain pieces tripped. go, you know where they are. Yes, exactly. Um, and, you know, I think games balance between doing something like that. Game. Although you can yeah. never fully reliably play it the same way because of the fact that this entire the system RNG. is purely random. I honestly think the best, the way to make Fear and Hunger a better game is to give it static loot. I really don't think the RNG loot in that game is It is bizarre. Good. It's so it's frustrating that it's strange. a system. I think it's actively in like against the design of the game, uh, which is fine, but it's just, I don't like yeah. it very much. But I think it's interesting. It's interesting thinking about the game overall because there's it it it's like it's like a weirdly parsable game once you learn to speak its language but that also means understanding like what parts of the game are just there to say fuck you <laughs> where it's like okay i will just never be able to predict what rng will get i'll never be able to rely on items but I can rely on people being in certain places. So I guess if I want to get this person or help this person, I need to I need to just RNG all the items. And that does give it some replayability, which is interesting. But in comparison to a Baldur's Gate 3, like I'm not going to hold it against Baldur's Gate 3. The fact that things happen outside of my view or that like doing one quest will kill another quest. And that's that's it. Sorry. Like, I think that's interesting. I think that's fine. And I think that's also the reason why um, like we've talked about this in terms of a let's play but i think outside of a let's play circumstance like listening mode is like not necessary um in that i think that there is a place for like asynchronous synchronous multiplayer or or, or situations where like a game world just exists without you and if you're just not there to witness something and your opponent or your your buddy wanders into a, a settlement and starts a conversation with someone that you're not right next to like yeah you should ask your buddy what he was up to and see if he can summarize that well. You yeah, know, like that's that, an interesting thing. Oh, too. absolutely. But that's a, that's a and that's a thing we that's tried just before. bad for a let's play. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, or more specifically, it requires a completely different solution because what we did is yes. I, I, I yeah. so I played Divinity Original Sin 2 the way we're, we're currently playing Baldur's Gate 3. But I played yeah. Wasteland 3 with with Andrew differently, which is that every time we went into town, 
we just muted each we just muted ourselves in discord and we just recorded the the zone separately and yeah. just both did stuff and then we we yeah. would then as if we were calling each other on a walkie-talkie essentially we would like we would unmute ourselves when it was time to reach out because we were like calling for backup or thinking it's time to wrap things up or move on and so on and that was a very different yeah. feel and also meant that i need to get both people's footage and combine all of them because otherwise yeah. the audience doesn't get to see anything that happened on andrew's perspective and that's yeah. frustrating yeah, for yeah, them yeah. uh it's a different way of doing things it, it definitely frees things up a bit like there's definitely like moments where i'm like uh, i'm listening in on toaster but then it just turned into merchanting and do i just sit here and like watch him merchant and yeah for the next 20 yeah. minutes and then just edit this whole totally. part out or do i go on an adventure but then like do that does, does he then just listen to me have a one-sided conversation in comms with somebody else or do i mute myself like it's so if, there's so many permutations of how to try to record that game moment to moment and yeah. if we don't stick to the same one then i have to interpret while editing what the fuck is even happening yes. and whether i need to change <laughs> okay. my entire editing format so it's just my, it is a nightmare my solution here for Baldur's Gate specifically is I really wish instead of showing an ear, it showed you the picture of who they were talking to and below oh. them what they are. Yeah. Like if I that could would just be useful. See, yeah. If I could just see you're talking to a merchant, I could give two rats asses about the conversation. But if I see a face and I'm like, who the hell is that? And it says like, I don't know, it has like a picture of a quest icon. And I'm like, okay, that's someone for a quest. I should probably listen in on that. I just but wish like, they, yeah. they should give us full like split screen. Just give it, give it to us. Because the, I mean, the game, ha a, the game I, has I split like... screen for local. And I'm like, it'd be nice if the game split screened when my buddy talks to someone. And then I could yeah. see what's happening. But I could also like still yeah, be like sense. picking up loot or whatever. Like so... Toaster can be going around thieving without necessarily missing the entire conversations. Yeah. Yeah. The problem with Wasteland is that I bought into the advertising and thought it was this crazy, cool, asynchronous experience where you can literally like <laughs> diverge and go into different locations, then encounter the aftermath of the other person's choices and so on. But when you're playing co-op in a game, you literally can't be on a different map. Yeah. yeah. That, that really ruined that concept. Like I thought like in Wasteland 2 at the beginning, you're given two choices of places to go first. And then it's like, aha, I'm being clever. There's consequences for your actions. Whichever place you didn't go to first is way worse now because you didn't save them. Yeah. And so that's a fun little bit of variability. I was thinking that something like that might happen with multiplayer where I go one place, Andrew goes another place. We literally do those entire quest chains and zones on our own without each other. Yeah. And then we separately then encounter the aftermath without context of what the other one did. It would have been a cool thing. And that's much like a Peter Molyneux talking about Fable 1 sort of way, the press stuff about that game lets your, imagine run, your imagination run wild about what the game might be doing. And then at the end of the day, it was literally just, yeah, you can you can just both hang out in the same map and talk to characters at the same time if you want. Yep. I'm like, oh, so it's just it's just Divinity. This game already came out. I've played this game already, game guys. Well, <laughs> I played it with yeah. four people. <laughs> Yeah. No, I mean, like, I agree. I agree with that. I mean, I think I think that's true. My my point, I think my point that I was trying to get out there is just like there there's an interesting design question of how do you create this world that is as open and as living and as free as people claim they want, while also like not making people feel like they're missing out like that the thing is is that like it's like one of those examples of like people complain about things but they don't actually want <laughs> they don't actually want the thing that they're saying would solve the complaint where it's like people people don't want kenshi 
I mean, I want Kenshi. Kenshi's cool. Kenshi's a cool-ass game. But I don't think most people who are, like, sitting there on Reddit being like, Baldur's Gate 3 isn't actually a good tabletop game. It's too restrictive. Like, buddy, why aren't you playing Kenshi? Like, you just you just want a fake thing that you are building up in your head as a cool game that just doesn't exist. Um you know, and yeah, and or, being or able even to create this like where everything's ace. happening on its own, whether yes. you get there or not, and so on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which like, mysteriously, there's, there's people liked why... that video game when it was called Dead Rising, but when it's not called Dead Rising, they don't like it when that happens. I mean, people I... complain about Majora's Mask and 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 De- Dead Rising and Pathologic and like any game that has the I gall think... to tell a player no, you can't see something because you didn't do it right. Like people just complain about that, yeah. but then people are like, "I want the mythical free game that allows me to do whatever I want, and I would I'd be such a good gamer that I'd never miss anything." It's like, I guess it's the, the idea where the, the metrics for player data collapse because of the timers in Dead Rising, but then everyone complains they remove the timers from dead rising and pikmin yes yes exactly which does bother me a little bit i think when i think back i'm like oh, i do want to play the new pikmin's but the timer like why the timer's gone isn't that the, that's that mentally for me from having played and not not ever finished pikmin as a kid that's like the identity of that game to me so it's like weird to think that they make when I see new Pikmin, it looks like it doesn't have the timer, and it looks like a series of like Super Mario 3D World individual challenge levels, like that don't look like they're in the context of a survival world. It's very odd. I wonder what's going on with that series, yeah. but people seem to like it now. So it seems like one of these franchises did better at removing the timer because people do seem to sincerely hate Dead Rising three and four. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the aspects of of uh, tabletop that. Is just inherently impossible to do in video games, at least as of right now, is the the sort of individual storytelling that you make in your head about. I mean, that happen that can happen in video games, but you need to sort of abstract yourself from from what's being presented on the screen. Uh, like, there's two examples for me about what I'm talking about. One is uh, they both happened on camera, but one of them happened on Keith's camera so maybe it's a little bit more relevant uh peradin was a character that i played in in a tabletop session that we had <laughs> um and his storyline was very rewarding for me personally because i uh i got to build a non um non-traditional character in the sense of of how it aligns or how it fits into the alignment system of uh of dungeons and dragons um and and sort of his motivations fit into the consequences that of his actions very neatly in a way that when you take a step back and you're not playing Paradin anymore, as I was, because I was playing him, which is a, a, a different perspective. It's a first-person perspective. But I take a step back and I look at a story, and I, I think that that's an interesting story that, you know, you could write a, you make a movie about that, you know, the, about that story. Unfortunately... It's a story that I'll, mostly I am privy to because I understood <laughs> Peridin's motivations where nobody else did. <laughs> but uh, that didn't that didn't need to happen. But um, but it, it it did happen. Uh, but what I'm saying is that sort of tor- storytelling can happen. Uh, that sort of first person storytelling ca- can happen in in tabletops without affecting the overall storyline. It didn't. Uh, like it wasn't what the campaign was about in our session. And, well, yeah, that, you that's know, his, sandals. Yeah. 
Sandals. Sandals is a um, toaster's Cave character Escape. in Cave Escape. Is, My is, character in Cave Escape. So much of that character is him making choices that nobody else in the game and most of the players don't understand. You just, yeah. um, I, like if I, I think for Paradin, if people reached out and asked, I would have, I would have said the reasons why. Like even the, so, if the DM asked, "Hey, Tia, oh, sorry, hey Colonel, why are you?" Uh, why, are, why? Why is that choice? Why, what is Paradin thinking? I would have said it out loud. I would have broken character and just say hey, he's yeah. thinking this because of this. Yeah. This is his right. And like nobody even did that, let alone reach out in. Well, they did happen to that some characters reached out, but not not as much as as would be necessary for explaining motivations. Um, yeah. But I think uh, if you have an inscrutable character in a tabletop session, the the DM can absolutely make it clear you know make it not inscrutable just ask the player i think yeah i, I don't really see the, the problem in that well so there is sort of an i have a really interesting comparison to this or a response to this which is just that like people have they we're, we're gonna wade into some like interpretation territory here but like People literally ask me, the, why does your character make this decision? And I tell them the exact reason why. And I go, I'll even say, like, there is a mechanical reason why I'm making this decision that is backed up objectively by the mechanics of the game. And they will respond like, well, death of the author. I think you, they did it because of this. I'm like, <laughs> the author? No. That's not what that that's means. That's not why. Not what, <laughs> you know, yeah, and so like the other means. Yeah, and like but also that what I'm saying true. is like the 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 context of characters and RPGs especially when people consume them even as players in a game like Baldur's Gate or as watchers of an actual play like it, at a certain point people are just going to read into what they want to read into and like yeah, it doesn't fine. matter what the reality of the situation is or like the reasons behind it like i can explain myself blue you know behind why why sandals acts the way he does i have a fucking character bible for this character that determines exactly the reasons why he makes certain decisions and his thought process behind them and his justifications for them and his emotional responses to them like uh, you see it very frequently, and, and this isn't me really rallying about it, because like I don't mind that people... I have plans for Sandals as a character that I don't <laughs> think people are truly ready for, but, uh, you know, S in Sandals... In contrast to the plans I had yeah. for Paradin, was, which was just to bake a cake, and he never did it. Yeah. That was literally like, the only plan. <laughs> he never did it. You know, using Sandals as an example... He is a character that I am very intimately understanding of, and he's very different from me in real life, but that is how I make the decisions with him is I understand his exact thought process. And I'm like, so I'll do something. I will ex I'm going to explain this some behind the scenes Cape Escape content for you all to get you all all riled up about Cape Escape. But like Sandals is a character that that commits arson quite a bit in the Cape Escape scenario. Um, and people immediately, and I played it as a, as an underhanded subterfuge thing that he was doing. In fact, there were so many Keith comments on it a few times, but I don't think people really understood how often I was doing secret roles to the DM. I was <laughs> rolling things with Kaw five or six or seven times a game, like seven times a session. 
to pull off a bunch of stuff that I had directly called out as a like, hey, Sandals is going to roll for, you know, insight or whatever. I'm going to roll for preparedness to see if I have this or I'm going to roll for this to see if I can tell what is going on here because Sandals wants to understand the situation and he does not think the people in his party are treating it with the respect and the the fear that it deserves. So he is going to solve this problem objectively and mechanically, but he's not going to bring it up to people because if he does, it will make a scene of it and will complicate and threaten the lives of the people around him. So like people will be watching Cape Escape and they'll see me do a private role and then next thing you know, in the next scene, there's a camper that's on fire that we were just in. They're like, oh, <laughs> Sandals is a psychopath. He was trying to kill everyone. And it's like, actually, objectively, and I have the proof of it, what I was doing was scanning the room to make sure that no one would get hurt, looking for things that could explode, that could accidentally kill all of us, making sure that the the material cost and all of the things that would be lost in this fire would not be detrimental to all of these characters' well-being. And... I'm doing I'm doing checks to make sure there's no shrubbery around the things I'm setting on fire so that the fire doesn't spread into town. We're in a desert. Sand does not catch on fire. In fact, it is used to snuff out fires so we can do things like set a bunch of RVs on fire without killing everyone. Like all of these things were objectively happening. But then people want to read into the 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 writing that they have this this image of the character that they have in their heads of like He's an unhinged sociopath. He's like one step away from murdering everyone. And like, yeah, did I play him underhanded in a way to like tug on that and mislead people? Yes. But that doesn't mean that the the truth of the situation, which is that he was doing things with people's good intentions in mind, even when the things that he did were morally compromised or dangerous. Uh, it doesn't mean that that's not true. And like, People, obviously, because this is art, this is a thing that we're, we're performing, they want to read into it and they want to have their interpretations and their, their fandom interactions with it. But, like, that also applies not just to regular tabletop, but, like, games where players have freedom. Things will happen that maybe don't surface to the player but are objectively or mechanically present and ludonarratively present. And people respond really negatively to these things when it is revealed that they have missed or that there was information that was not surfaced to them, even if it was available or wasn't available to them, um, you know, as surfaced by the game itself. And I think, I think that's like an interesting player interaction problem um, because it creates this situation where like the truth of something doesn't really matter because it just, people will just critique it regardless of what what the actual circumstance is and it it makes writing for these things tabletop or video game inspired by tabletop or otherwise really difficult because like it it doesn't matter how well signposted your story is or how well designed your characters are or yeah. whatever like yeah. people people are going to see the the sullen looking you know, uh, elf with dark hair and bangs who, you know, is having a bad day and they're going to be like, look, it's the goth elf. It's like this. You don't know that. <laughs> you don't know that about her, but that's how she's going to be flanderized. You know, that just is the way right. it is. 
it doesn't it doesn't matter how nuanced or, or objectively true or not true certain actions sandals took were in cape escape people just decided in episode one that he was an unhinged sociopath because i made some jokes and that's just how they're reading the character from now on and that just is the way it is you know like there's no way to get around but it that's also the tool that you can use to tell a story like i do yes. that a lot in my lyrics writing which is to just leave things vague enough that well i mean i mostly write for myself these days but but still like anybody can take their own meaning and maybe even more personal meaning from from vague lyrics than they can from uh from from very specific lyrics well it's also yeah. just like There's you have to you have to it's a whole separate skill of figuring out how to manage which parts of the story are memorable versus what which ones are the objective facts of what happened like yes, what are the evocative exactly. images and moments and so like sandals being unhinged is more memorable than yeah the it's literally fun, unspoken right? things happening behind the scenes about what's going on with them and so on mm -hmm. and so like it's like the equivalent of like uh like people's takeaway from science of the lambs and psycho is that those two characters both villains are trans and both movies literally have a scene explaining they're not trans no one yes. remembers those <laughs> scenes exist because they're not very funny or memorable or scary or interesting you remember uh, also you remember the cross-dressing and the shower stabbing and so on you don't remember a bunch of guys in a suit speaking in monotone about how billy wasn't a true transsexual and all this other stuff like no, yeah, yeah, they yeah, literally, yeah those literally delete themselves from your memory from even existing <laughs> but you can't also expect the 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 effects of the, per, the portrayal of those characters in those movies to just vanish because you add a, a footnote and say actually yeah. they're not yeah. transsexual or they're not transgender mm -hmm. or whatever verbiage they use the because the, the 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 imagery of 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 that creates meaning of itself it's that's, more, that's, that's, my, that's my point yeah is that yeah, yeah for sandals or any other situation like explaining something doesn't can't undo the yeah. viscerally memorable way that's portrayed yeah. and what stands out to people is, the first time which is why i'm okay uh, ultimately with the way paradin had its meeting for you guys and and for for people watching as well or had its meeting had its end or his end uh because the i think i think it, it was a fun it, hopefully it was fun anyway for 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 people to just have an unscrutable character that couldn't really be read too too well and and uh, ultimately, I I was not going for in, in that direction with with the the character that I made after him, but it that was more or less where people were going as well. I I don't I don't know why, but I think I thought it was a very straightforward character. I was playing, <laughs> playing him straightforward, but people were just like, I don't understand this guy's deal. I we've had some, we've had some interesting fault. learning experiences because the uh, your next yeah. character was also a character who you seem to think was being portrayed in a very different way than everyone was perceiving them. Yep. <laughs> no, I was trying to portray him in a way that, that uh, I wasn't failing at. But that's, I was going to say, I, I relate to that deeply. Like, uh, yeah. trying to play a character one way and then everyone responding to it extremely differently. How but do you play a cutesy character, though? Like, how, how can you do that? Like, just obviously the uh, be very cute yeah. i don't know i inherently be cute so that people read it as sincere and not I, as misleading yeah. <laughs> i'm about to play against type in a in a tabletop rpg for maybe the first time ever so i'll get back to you on that because uh, <laughs> okay. my next character is going to be a lot but i've almost exclusively played uh standoffish characters of few words <laughs> like six times yeah. in a row <laughs> 
I had uh, my character was a tiefling with 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 like it was. And they they all could have gone. They all could have gone somewhere, but all those campaigns ended before they fully finished. But yeah, fucking in 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 fourteen episodes, the story and other characters brought stuff out of Jet, and that was entertaining. That's that has not yeah. historically happened, even though it should have. But on the topic of like gamers not saying knowing what they want in rpgs and so on or saying or not saying the right thing or whatever like i I think it really is like i think that your point might slightly be missing the point about what people want from tabletop rpgs but it might be accurately reacting to what they say they want but i don't think that players when people say that they want the tabletop rpg experience from video games i don't think that like I i think it's actually a I think it's an artificial creation of video games, not a reactive thing to tabletop RPGs to have a schedule. Like having a react Oh having, sure. Like tabletop yeah. RPGs are completely reactive to the player. And one of the way one of the solutions to that the video games have tried to make is to create a world with rules yes. and schedules and health bars and oh sorry, you want you can't do that quest this week because on Wednesdays this oblivion NPC hunts wolves and maybe they died this time and will never show up again. Like Yeah. <laughs> uh inherently that's actually a that's an evolutionary like a, a a technological dead end created by video games that is an attempt to solve a problem in the approach to approximating rpgs but is not actually an element of real rpgs like you can have an npc who has a schedule and says to meet them at two o'clock in a, in a tabletop rpg yeah. technically but that's not an inherent element of those games those games being a realistic world is not actually a part of them being a reactive world but that was the solution yes. that video games made up for that so yes it is deeply frustrating and can be very disappointing when you have an entire path of your narrative in your video game be redirected because a character you've literally never heard of died off camera to a simulation or something and that is yeah. a uniquely video gamey problem created by the video game if you see it as a problem the thing about tabletop RPGs is you literally do you literally can have your cake and eat it too in that you can have a massively reactive world that feels realistic because it's actually reacting to you and interacting with what you're doing and respecting your character yeah. arc and other stuff's happening but also things happen to punish you for acting outside of the bounds of the things you're allowed to do and like there's rules it, it is never yeah it is never fully some in some teen some toddlers going well i actually have a laser well i've got an anti-laser yeah. force field and then they have to do this escalating back and forth forever but it's also never a concrete like fixed world and this is not this is made more all the more obvious by sure. like if you played with any decently adaptive dungeon master they will physically unmake their reality and move pieces of the story and setting yes. around and rearrange it canonically because you have if you haven't observed it yet then the way they planned it doesn't have to be how it actually works and they can just move yeah. it and change it and then make it react to the thing that you're that is doing re- happening right now like uh, to but... the point where, like I had one I had one dungeon master admit that he invented an entire underwater dungeon where we, we fell into this like we fell into this lake following this this boat and underneath it was an air bubble and there was an entire kingdom down there and it was entirely reactive to him just trying not to kill off this character because of what was about to happen yeah. and that was going to be not 
actually inter- yeah. that was not going to actually be a satisfying consequence for the thing so the entire yeah. next few weeks took place in a setting he made up on the fly <laughs> like that's just, yeah it's just how things can go but what yeah. what i guess and what, it, what i was video, saying there in a video game is super can't one one with that though rpg systems like tabletop rpg systems that do simulate real world like is an actual thing that is not that's not just a thing from video games in fact a lot of video games that took schedules took the scheduling from tabletop campaigns and games that that built out higher levels of simulation yeah like that solution has been a thing that was in tabletop it is very niche and that's why they're not popular exponentially Um, more niche than the video games that use those features themselves yes and then, but the other thing to this is you said, like, my DM made up this this whole situation that was reacting to me and reacting to our player. And, like, yeah, that's what people want. But that also still gets to the, the core of the issue, which is what I'm talking about, which is that there's still, like, a pre-planned story that's happening that you need to get from point A to point B at. So, yes, the DM can accommodate that, but they're still railroading you. They're just railroading you with more steps along the way. That's yeah. what that's what I'm saying. And so when people say, oh, I want the magic and freedom of a tabletop game, like I I don't want to be railroaded. I want the freedom to just have things happen like on the fly. What they're actually saying is I just want the game to be more adaptable because they want it to be more like the fact that tabletops also railroad you. They're just more clever about how they do it. Right. But also, like, the ending of Cape Escape and the conditions that it ended at are massively mm-hmm. divergent from anything that Ka wanted to do, even sure. if it took place in the same location and the same, like, thing was resolved. Everything yeah. in that room in- is so different from what he set out to do. I'm trying yes. not to talk about it because people are watching the reruns. Yeah, and, like, like, well, obviously, like, we had to move things around and stuff. But, again, that still gets to the point that, like, the endings that we were at were planned and yes they were partially planned by us and that the tabletops have the benefit of being developed as you play them <laughs> which is going to yeah. always be inherently different than a, yeah, than a video game yeah it's so satisfying game. to be invested in even a part yeah. of the storytelling process as opposed to yes picking options in a pre-programmed thing which is the struggle yeah, yeah. but i guess what i'm saying is that like a situation like again just to manufacture a situation like if we at the very last moment of cape escape were like all right, now that we have established the stakes of this setting and we're, we're in this last moment and we all decide to go out to Denny's, um, yeah, maybe we could do that, but that would be a really unsatisfying or uninteresting thing. Like, that level of freedom yeah. doesn't actually beget anything meaningful. So when people say they want freedom, yeah, they're not, not actually talking variability. about the... Yeah, they're not talking about the ability to just actually be free and make random choices. What they're talking about is they want... They want to be able to navigate to the preset choices or the preset. Yeah, and I don't think anyone's actually saying that either. I think it's just that you, everyone's experienced the frustration of wanting to do something in a situation, and then that just yes. not being an option because the game didn't consider yes. that idea or it was cut or something. And yeah, like, but I mean, like, like yeah, at like, the same time, are, you are ultimately assigning a pact to play a character and behave yes. within the the reasonable behaviors of the character you wrote, hopefully. Which is yes. its own other thing of like, like when I talk about my murder hobo friends that I had to play certain games with and just like, oh, they don't understand what this is. They don't understand what a tabletop RPG is or what playing a character is. And that's ruining this all. But uh, but I don't I don't think that's 
the most constructive direction to go in because it's just kind of like an it's kind of like an off the rails way of discussing it because it's a thing that no one really wants to begin with for the most part. Yeah, but my my point is the discourse around it is poisoned because the way people talk about it isn't actually indicative of the problems that they are taking with things, which is like, yeah. yes, it's reasonable to say I'm frustrated that I couldn't tell this character no in a position that would make sense because the game signposted it. Like uh, using the tyranny example that we went over earlier, tyranny is just kind of a bad game. That's not it. That's not a fundamental core issue with all with Baldur's Gate three or with all tabletop approximations. There are plenty of ways to do tabletop sure, approximations. It's, it's not it's even why a problem it's inherent why with video games. Not like yes, the ultimate review. Just like how the very ideas of what's cool or bad about tabletop RPGs are themselves not meant to be literal examples of what happens, yes. but ideas of what can happen. Like yes, you can try to romance the boss. Uh, it's probably not applicable in most scenarios and depending on exactly. your, the type of dungeon master, it's probably not going to happen, but let also like, it also is on the table in certain ways that you can like, yeah, it, you can take that. It's supposed to be illustrative of how you can take a narrative in a completely different direction. Meanwhile, yes. rocks falls. Everyone dies is not supposed to literally speak about exclusively the concept of having rocks fall on everybody. It's the idea that your dungeon master ran a scenario where, Everyone just unsatisfyingly dies against a thing that has no narrative resonance and it's not a cool yes. outcome yeah. for the story. And yeah. everyone just goes home feeling like they wasted their time. Yeah, the, I, no, completely. I, that's a very good point. Uh, it kind of ties into another, um, like, a, a sort of a thing our uh, tabletop role, role-playing games have going for them, which is that everybody, including the DM, obviously, everybody is invested in having a good time. You're not yeah. there judging anybody else. Like you may be, you may judge other people in, uh, at the table, but even then, even when when you're like disagree with their choices, you're still trying to have a good time together. In a, that's a very different uh, attitude yeah. towards you know that people have towards video games. You're when you're playing an, even an RPG, you're playing there. You're 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 trying you know having a good time, but it's a different kind of responsibility of who yeah. has a good time. It's the game's responsibility. If the game sucks, you're like, yeah. okay, this game sucks. I'm gonna go on Reddit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, well, that also gets to the thing you started talking about at the very beginning of this podcast, Colonel, which is that um, in a video game, you can you can save scum and that's you OK. Can, yeah. And, you know, you get your investment level and in, in what is possible for you is much more open in that regard than in a tabletop setting where it's like, well, if Sandals dies, <laughs> he's dead. <laughs> like, we can't yeah. save reload on Cape Escape episode seven, you know, like. The, there's also that degree which of, is of this this actually gets into cool things about what's happening behind the scenes is that almost akin to like sexual role play where you like preemptively make agreements about like what's okay and what's not okay and so on like in a like there was a there was a lot of discussion like for example it was a session zero where he discussed like the basic like boundaries of the game and where it could go and what kind of stuff was and wasn't on the table yeah. like because mm-hmm. inherently this was going to be horror and like death and gore yeah. and other stuff like that there was going to be things where like okay what stuff should be allowed and what stuff should be like not allowed and like i brought up like the idea of like okay looking at the response to yik we probably don't want to uh, be directly evocative any of any real life uh disappearances yeah. or murders and so on like that kind of stuff goes on the table and similarly when the horror stuff started ramping up like there you said that sandals dies and that's it but at the same time there was the idea of specifically what how yep. how will we handle deaths or whatever yes. happens when you're corrupted because 
the player is still there, and technically, the character can still be there. Yes. It's just what yeah. form will the character take? Because we were we yeah. were discussing preemptively uh, what will happen if this or that character dies, and in this setting, it's very possible they would then return the next episode as one of these corrupted things that we're dealing with otherwise. And like, it's a there's there's a lot of options. It's all about just dis- discussing people, yeah. discussing the what's going to well, happen. It's like a contract and what can right? happen. Like you, yeah, yeah, yeah. You just need everyone needs to be. You, tr- you, we need to trust that everyone is there to have a good time and is equally yeah. invested in having this this story play but out. But that gets. Which is that's why it's, engaging with things in good faith, right? Like yes. that's like we're building a contract it's with something being where we intend to do something, and not being a yeah. selfish asshole that ruins your friend's fun and so on. And which is I guess my, which is why my so many tabletop point, RPG groups collapse is they find the shitty yeah. friend. Like yeah. so <laughs> many failed tabletop RPG campaigns I've had, everyone in that group would point to the person that ended it. Like, you know yeah. what happened. Like, oh, that was the guy that threw a weird tantrum because the dungeon master wasn't adhering cleanly enough to the spell book rules of exactly how this mechanic works and made everyone uncomfortable yep. and everyone didn't want to play anymore. Or this other group where this one person just was not maintaining a character and would not move forward in a functional way and like and was just like sandbagging everything we were doing yeah. like you can see, you would know exactly each time who it was and it's what it's like a friendship test yeah. where you often might not talk to that person again yeah. yeah yeah i think i think what i'm saying with with this stuff too is just that like when you go into a game i'm going to use like fear and hunger not even Baldur's gate but like fear and hunger as an example like you are making the, the you are making a contract with that game right like you were saying like i agree to the terms that this game is setting out and like part of that is an issue of like people don't want to get spoiled so they don't want to look into like what exactly is in a game and stuff like that and like that's there are ways to communicate that better but like in my mind when people complain about the limitations of a game they have opted into playing on that front not in terms of like oh the writing is bad i wish it was better but just like i don't understand why i can't start a bakery in baldur's gate 3 it's just like well, yeah, but you didn't you didn't play the bakery game. You you agreed yeah. to play Baldur's Gate three. You bought Baldur's Gate three. Play Baldur's Gate three and be happy that you're getting Baldur's Gate three. That's the story that you agreed that you wanted to play that you are now saying you opt out of. Uh, and that's sort of what I'm saying when I say like the the that, yeah. the bounds and freedom of a tabletop game and the bounds and freedom of a video game are both established by the contract you determine at the start. The only difference is that that contract is determined by a developer in terms of a video game and it's hard set. And the the contract and terms of service of a tabletop situation that you're playing can change and modify slightly, but still is ultimately made by a player that you are speaking to directly that is catering it to you. That's why I'm um, more or less, I've always been more or less okay with uh, role-playing games that have preset characters with stories and backgrounds yeah. and all this sort of stuff. Um, like, in, in, like, Mass Effect does that to a certain extent, but it still tries to p- play... Uh, or probably pay a little bit lip service to people who want custom backgrounds, yeah. uh, even though it's very much the preset character of, of yes. Shepard. I was in the streets. Um, there will be one guy who shows up. It's like, I remember you from the streets, and we're going to be the bad element and try to drag you back into that. This will happen once and never be mentioned again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I meet you outside of Flux the second time you go to Flux. <laughs> I remember. I've played Mass Effect 1 seven times. <laughs> Yeah. But it, it, it's just it's a sort of a, a thing that some role playing some RPG players are really upset that that like The Witcher has a preset character 
I was about to say, yes. like, I'm actually a very big fan of uh, video game RPGs, especially like of that kind of like su- like the post Bioware sort of subgenre of them. I'm a fan of them having a established character that you then try to role play and you are then making choices yeah. within the range of how they behave because it because helps. Because then the story can be about you. Yeah, it does so much <laughs> to contextualize the choices and make them in yeah. some ways more meaningful and more sensical yep. than yes. Ah, out of like out of like compared to like Fallout 4 promising you the idea that you can play the greatest grandest spectrum of any personality of Wastelander you can imagine, but this is the story every single time and this is the primary decision splitting point every single time and that is yeah. a dilemma that is inherent to your character somehow no matter how long you how you played the game up till now like it's like video games are so nearly incapable of uh of handling a complete blank slate do whatever you want with it character that it's actually yes. extremely <laughs> helpful to just give me a character that has a range he can be played in yeah. Well, they can Completely. they can handle that, but it's just not in the same yeah. style. Like for example, I especially not I always acting. thought, especially yeah, well, but yeah, that's that's one aspect. But there's others as well. Like I, uh, the The Sims, for example, is a great storytelling game. It's a great role playing oh, game is. if you so want to play good. it like that. Uh, but it, the stories are very specific. They're domestic stories. They're they're not yeah. they're mundane. They're 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 small in the sense of you know small. I think not epic. But that doesn't mean they're not worth telling, and that, that it certainly doesn't mean they can't have fun. It's just it's a different kind of storytelling device. But if you want to tell stories about dragons and how the the, uh, the planes are converging in themselves and everything is breaking Ooh. apart and you need to save the gods, then yeah, you can't you can't use The Sims. Yeah, <laughs> that, not... that doesn't work like that <laughs> because you're you're sort of starting already from a very constrained style of storytelling. Yeah, it's, it's another example exists. of the most effective outcomes being enabled by cutting out yeah. a huge sw- swath of possibilities yeah but also the, those those sorts of constraints exist because people are used to those constraints to the sort of storytelling that happens in movies and books and things like that where yeah. um where you can't have emergent story stories happen where you have to have very voiced characters and i'm talking about books as well in that regard very personality driven storytelling that doesn't happen inside of that, that happens in the page and not inside of the the, the reader's mind, and then you know that's just the nature of role playing games. Obviously, I, I I find it interesting that so many people cannot see the role play in in The Sims, but well, I think once oh, yeah, they no, that's, that's start... the entire premise. It is a role playing yeah. game ultimately. Yeah, it is. Yeah, but but once once you sort of open your eyes to that and understand why it is a role playing game. Uh, yeah. or white can be because you know not everybody's in my play in my that. chaotic neutral ass a way of defining role-playing games or whatever the fuck that's a role-playing game yeah, <laughs> for sure. in, in me, when i'm being annoying i'm like fucking pathologics a role-playing game dead rising is a role-playing game the sims is a role-playing game final fantasy is not a role-playing game that's my yeah, insane <laughs> approach or i'm like well are you are you making choices and playing a role and actually doing something or are you just leveling up and following a story because those yeah. are different things well, I think, but I think that also it, that exemplifies kind of the the issue here is that people look at The Sims, and The Sims is a game full of systems and storytelling and like emergent gameplay and like hard rules. Yes, ninety nine percent of players who who open The Sims 
immediately give themselves $4 million and then just build a house and then woohoo 47 times in the hot tub. Like that's, <laughs> that's all The Sims is to most people. Most people don't even realize how the game is supposed to be played. It's the yeah. same thing with, and I, I'm using this as like a kind of hot topic example, but like when Minecraft first launched, it was survival mode most people play creative like that's like a or many people play creative and that's how they view minecraft i exclusively um, play survival still same i like i remember when i had to dig a hole in the a ground big, and wait for yeah. the night to go building away. a building a yes. nightmarish <laughs> inverted pyramid flat floating over an abyss pit that goes to the bottom of the world is only meaningful if i actually had to do it and mine it and yell yes. the resources yes. correctly yeah, and, and exactly. create the like polished blocks and so on Yes. So that's why when people, when we say things like The Sims is a storytelling role-playing game, people are like, what? No, it's not. And I'm like, actually, that's the only reason why you don't think that is because you have literally never played The Sims before and because you think it's boring because you think storytelling yeah. games are they kind play of boring. Sims, <laughs> they, they play The Sims like it's a porn game. Yes, exactly. I mean yes, that very exactly. literally. Like there's an entire, Wait. there's a massive genre is, of porn but... games out there, both uh, visual novels and just like ones that try to be mechanically driven. And a significant percentage of people playing them are clicking through everything as fast as possible to get to like the, the scenes, which is very funny when they try to play Echo that way. <laughs> and they get very confused because they're clicking for 300,000 words. <laughs> <laughs> yes but anyway this has been a good discussion but it's definitely time to wrap things up speaking of all this t tabletop discussion I'm though sorry, go subscribe Andrew. to Noel playing games right now watch also it yes the most recent upload only has 200 views do it do it do it do it if you have even if you watch cape escape before there is a weekly upload called idle banter that is all of the it's a bunch of the cut discussion that takes place before the game in the intermission in the middle of the game and then the like the big sometimes borderline full podcast that starts happening after the game and I, I cut those into stuff so there's a bunch of like bonus materials coming up on that channel every week between the two videos that are the game that week and we ha we'll have another game coming in january so you gotta you gotta be subscribed you'll miss it i announce this stuff too often and talk about it too much because it's impossible to communicate anything to a youtube audience because everyone sees <clears throat> a completely random sampling of what you upload so that's why you have to repeat yourself a lot Indeed. Wait, and I'm sorry, gay? Andrew, that I steered. <laughs> I steered to this. <laughs> no, that's I steered, fine. I'm. I'm used to. I'm very used to the conversations here. <laughs> <laughs> they are. They are either Andrew Philic or Andrew phobic conversations. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'll see you guys next time. Bye. Goodbye. Bye -bye.